Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho. H to the OV. I used to move snowflakes by the OZ. I guess even back then you can call me CEO of the ROC. Ho. Fresh out the frying pan into the fire. I be the music man's number one supplier. Flyer than a piece of paper bearing my name. Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right, ho. Not DOC, but similar to them letters. No one could do it better. I check cheddar like a food inspector. My homie Strick told me, dude, finish your breakfast. What's good, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Yum Till I Can Tell You is podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this Friday. January the 12th, the football Friday. It is indeed the year 2024. Uh, I was about to say 23. It's Wild Card Weekend, ladies and gentlemen. So lots to discuss along those lines. As we are about to commence the first weekend of the 2023 NFL playoffs. Six games coming up throughout the span of Saturday the 13th and Sunday the 14th, which we will dissect and preview and predict along with your voicemails and all things NFL and even college football, as well as we'll get to a little bit later on in the program. I told you guys in the wacky two-part episode that I did for you, uh, you know, throughout the span of this week, Tuesday through yesterday, I told you guys I was going to give you my two cents on the whole Peacock ordeal. I gave you my commentary on that. And obviously I, I told you that I, and I promised you, that uh, I would not let a uh, episode go by without my uh, without providing my Nick Saban commentary as he announces his retirement from uh, from uh, coaching the great game of football, and that is where we, we and that is where we will begin here on this uh, afternoon show. Nick Saban, the greatest college head coach of all time, the greatest college football head coach of all time. Announced earlier this week on Wednesday that he was retired at about the five o'clock hour that he was retiring from coaching. I mean, we all know how great and just the we all know how great of a head coach he is. I mean, the seven time national champion, the guy won the NCC championship nine times. He's got the record for the most weeks atop of the AP uh, top 25 polls as, as any uh, college football uh, coach in the country. I mean, the guy is just an absolute, absolute legend, uh, legend in the uh, in the in the sport of college football. There's no other coach quite like him. With you know, you want to talk his personality, his you know how he conducts himself, you know how he is. I always looked at him as like the more, the more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Charismatic and or talkative Bill Belichick. I mean they they're one in the same in terms of they're one in the same in terms of uh in terms of their standards for excellence and wanting their players to commit to excellence and no one great player is bigger than the team and it's about team 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 nailing and and executing the basic fundamentals of the sport, knowing how to study film, knowing how to sit there, take notes, always wanting to strive to take the extra mile, being, uh, being, uh, you know, just doing your job essentially. And that's, and that's the, um, 
the calling card for Belichick and for saving both of those two guys that coached together up in Cleveland uh, in the 90s. But that's that's their mantra, you know, do your job, just do, you know, do your job, do your job. Belichick did it with New England. He will coach again, there's no doubt. Nick Saban, though, he will not. It uh, looks like his uh, days of coaching college football are numbered as of, as of the news of his retirement. In his 28-year career, he has won 297 games. He's 297-71-1. That comes out to an 806 winning percentage. Uh, he has won a numerous. He's won seven national championships, as we've discussed. Six with Alabama. One at LSU. One at LSU. Over 20 years ago, uh, he has a uh, in in bowl games 16 and seven record at Alabama. 16 seven record at Alabama. His record in the 17 seasons at Alabama 206. And 29, that's an 877 winning percentage. This is a guy that is, I mean, just revered by, hated, you know, if you if you coach in the SEC or if you're a fan in the SEC and you're a, a SEC and or college football diehard, you hate, you hate saving the way that you hate Belichick. But there's no, there's no doubt, there's no, there's, there's no notion and no and nothing in question regarding his greatness and 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 observing and monitoring and knowing how great of a coach this man was throughout his entire career. He started as a Kent State graduate assistant and linebackers coach back uh, 50 years ago in the early 70s at Kent State. He became he was an outside linebackers coach at Syracuse in 77, uh, 77 and 78. He's a West Virginia native in terms of that being his birth state. He coached he was a DB coach for West Virginia 78-79. Coached DBs at Ohio State at the turn of the new decade in the 80s. Uh, made a had a stop at Navy in 82. Uh, coached at Michigan State as their defensive coordinator and defensive backs coach, 83-87. Made his first stop in the NFL in 1988-1989 with the Houston Oilers. Then coached to Toledo in 1990. Was Belichick's defensive coordinator, 91-94. Got back into the college game, got his first ever head coaching job at Michigan State, 95-99. LSU, 2000-2004. Got the Dolphins job in 05, 06, wanted Drew Brees. If he would have gotten Drew Brees, he wanted Drew Brees. The higher-ups, I believe they wanted a draft. Uh, if Going off the top of my head, I can look it up, just double-check myself. I believe the higher-ups wanted uh, Dante Culpepper, I think, as the quarterback that they wanted, uh, that, that they wanted a draft at the time when uh, Nick Saban wanted to get Drew Brees when he was a – Free agent. It wasn't. Uh, was not Dante. Uh, he was there in. Oh, he was there in oh six. So they did get. So I. Yeah. So I guess I was right. They got Dante Culpepper. Uh, they wanted Dante Culpepper. Uh, his higher ups in Miami. Uh, got him in two thousand in two thousand and uh, in two thousand and six. Yep, I have it read right. Yep, they wanted either Dante Culpepper or Drew Brees in free agency. Saban wanted uh, Drew Brees in the worst way. His higher ups, 
uh, you know, said and shows otherwise. They drafted Culpepper. His tenure at Miami blew up, you know, blew up in his face. Got to Alabama in 07, and he was there all the way up until the Rose Bowl a couple weeks ago on New Year's Day. I mean, a tremendous, tremendous career. Tremendous. And it's and it's crazy because when you think about all, I mean, look at all of the historically great coaches we've had leave the leave the game within the last within essentially the last turn of the decade. Roy Williams and North Carolina. Coach K at Duke with their basketball programs. Uh, now uh, Sabins go, Sabins retired. Belichick Belichick got fired. Pete Carroll got fired. Uh, you know you, you want to go to baseball. Dusty Dusty Baker retired. I mean, there's a lot of big, and I may be missing one or one or two that you're probably screaming and saying, "Oh, what about him? What about?" So I'm probably missing maybe one or two extra. But I mean, the laundry list of coaches that. Have said goodbye within the within the last uh, handful of years is really 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 astonishing. But Saban, obviously the best there ever, best there is, best there ever was. He's the only guy that can come in to Alabama where Coach Bear Bryant, uh, you know, man man the controls as the head head football coach of that program back in the day, and he's the only guy that went in there and did better than Bear and did better than Bear Bryant. Man, he was. Just an absolutely phenomenal head coach, you know, and he did a good job with this year's Alabama team. Of course, the only one loss prior to the Rose Bowl was at home back in early September in week two of their season against Sarkeesian in Texas. They found a way to win on a week-in, week-out basis. Were able to beat Tennessee after losing to them in that classic football game two Octobers ago in 2022. Uh, and they did, they were able to find a way in the pits of hell when they had no business winning that game. And they were able to, uh, to heroically, uh, escape iron bowl humiliation, beating them, uh, down at, uh, Jordan, down at Jordan Hare on Thanksgiving weekend. They go into the SC championship game up against Georgia, which had a ridiculous winning streak. And I lost the game in about two years, the defending back-to-back national champions, and they find a way to, to knock off the big bad Georgia Bulldogs uh, to win another SEC championship, which turned out to be Saban's final one, and also uh, get his team into a situation where they clinched the college football playoff berth and were able to play in the Rose Bowl up against the aforementioned uh, eventual national champion Michigan Wolverines. But Saban, a tremendous career. I mean, there's there's no there's you're not going to find a coach. Belichick in the NFL or Saban in college, you're not gonna find you're not gonna find a coach that's gonna that's gonna come anywhere near anywhere near to how great of a coach Nick Saban was. You just you're not you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna find it. You're not gonna find it. And I think and I have the opinion because the thing about college sports, especially now in the days of NIL and transfer portal, the thing about what make what helps college basketball and helps college football a whole hell of a lot is is the names of the coaches. You know, and the pros the and the pros, the players are the are the quote unquote brand per se. They they they're the brand. Yes, every now and again, you know, there's an outlier, i.e., obviously Belichick, but the coaches are the brand. 
You think Duke basketball, you think Mike Krzyzewski. You think North Carolina basketball, Dean Smith, those of you who are old enough, my generation, you think Roy Williams. You, um, you think Michigan State basketball, you think Tom Izzo. Uh, you, you think, uh, you think Alabama football, you think Nick Saban, you know, Penn state, Joe Paterno, Michigan state, or excuse me, Michigan football, Jim Harbaugh, Georgia, Kirby smart, USC back in the day, Pete Carroll, now Lincoln Riley and college needs that you know they need that 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 continuous long-term villain so to speak that captivates the audience and captivates its fans you know from season to season to season year in and year out they need that after after two after two years the players come and go especially with transfer boom maybe only one year and they decided to, and then they decided to pick up and take their college career somewhere else. Guy could play at Alabama one year and then decide to go play at uh could decide to go pick up and play at, you know, uh Washington the next. Play Texas and then one year and then decide to go to College Park the following year. It's it's but one of the things that helps the sport is the continuity with the coaches. The coaches become the brand and become the identity of their, in this case, their football team. And that's what Saban was for, shit, my entire life. I watched college football, sit down, watch college football, watch an Alabama game. That's that's Saban's crew. The coaches, the coaches for Al- the coaches for Auburn come, came and went. Coaches for Georgia came and went. The coaches for Tennessee came and went. Uh, you know, uh, coaches for uh, for for uh, for Michigan up until uh, up until Harbaugh came came and went. Ohio State came and went. You know, uh, Urban Meyer now uh, Ryan Day. Florida came and went. Steve Spurrier, uh, Urban Meyer. They you know they came they came and went. Came and went. But the one constant was there that that America, you know, and they became that team like the Yankees, like the Lakers, like the, uh, you know, like the Dodgers, like the, uh, you know, the Patriots back in the Brady Belichick heyday. They became that team that you, Duke basketball, they became that team that you, that if you were a fan of of their, if you were a fan of a rival, if you were a fan of a team that competed against them on a consistent basis, you loved to hate them. And Saban was that guy, you know. I, I, and and listen, he had his he had his fair share of uh, he had his fair share of of failures. He had his he had, he had his fair share. Obviously, the one that that you know that you want to call this, you want to you know go to this year. You obviously can, you obviously can, uh, you obviously can think about uh, the you know uh, this year's failure to Michigan in the Rose Bowl. You can go back two years ago; they lost the national, they lost the uh, national championship game. You can go 2016 when they had a, when he suffered a national championship game. Uh, defeat. You can go back to 2013 when they were the best team in the country. They went into uh, they went into uh, the Iron Bowl ten years ago, which we discussed for the ten year anniversary at the time. Best team in the nation. They went they went into Jordan Harris Stadium, 
got upset by the Auburn Tigers, allowed Chris Davis to take that kickback 109 yards to knock Alabama out of contention for the BCS championship, and they and punched the and and won the SEC Western Division uh, championship and knocked Alabama out of having a chance to go to Atlanta to play for the S- to play for the SEC title. So every coach, every coach, Belichick, Saban, Atmans are the best of them. Every coach has that moment of heartbreaking defeat, heartbreaking disappointment. All the all the great ones do. All the great ones do. Out outside of, I mean, really, I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't think of one. Riley had his Riley had his moments. Um trying to think Riley had his I'm trying to think uh baseball you know Joe Torre at least if you want to you know the guys that you know modern that people would you know people would know Torre didn't you know Torre has to live with the with the old one world series Earl Weaver you know when he was living God rest his soul had to live with the fact that the Orioles had a 3-1 lead on the 79 Pirates and they pissed it away uh you know and we could be here all night dissecting Dusty Baker's postseason shortcomings, but it happens with the best of us. And Saban was no different. He, but the thing about him is that his teams were consistent, and you knew on a year-on-year basis, Nick Saban's teams were committed to one thing and one thing only, and that is winning. Yes, did, did he produce some? Did he produce, uh, you know, Pro Bowl slash slash uh, All Pro caliber NFL talent uh, that you know that that got drafted into the NFL and beca- and became uh, solid to to great NFL players. Yes, that that but that goes without saying. Any college coach worth their salt, you would think, would produce a handful of NFL uh, talent that would, that would graduate to the NFL and become good pros. But that's 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 a given. Granted, yes, again, he had a he had a crap ton of players, you know, the Derrick Henrys of the world, the Julio Jones that went to the NFL and took over the you know, the Stefan the guys that went to the National Football League and took off. He also had some guys that weren't so great in the NFL. I think Tred Richardson, I think uh, you know, Henry Ruggs was a hell of a talent, but got himself but he was his own worst enemy, obviously, with the whole DUI thing when he killed the guy when he killed that poor woman in the in the car crash three years ago. Or no, two years ago. Twenty twenty one. Two years ago. You know, AJ McCarron wasn't some great NFL quarterback. There's a lot of quarterbacks that came through there came through there were not great. Did not end up to be great pros. The most, you know, best ones that he's had so far. I mean, Hurts and 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 Tua, and how he even had managed that. The excellent coaching job he did with that when he made when he made the deci- when he made the decision, a benching decision, so he could uh, so he could win that national championship game back in January of twenty eighteen over Georgia, which took which took which took uh, good know how. Now, 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 uh, grant. Now, granted, the way that the game played itself out, it made it obviously an easier decision for him. But that's no day at the beach. And did he have his moments? You know, where he, you know, he was tough to embrace and tough to root for. Yeah, but you look at any, you look at any successful, uh, you look at any successful uh, coach or any being that's successful in anything, 
you know, they, and they and they do not break the confines in terms of breaking the law. You look at anyone; they they all got a they all got a, a an asshole personality trait within them. All of them do. All of them do. Thus, doesn't make them a bad person. Doesn't make them less 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 than a less than a human being. All the great successful ones have a little bit of have a little bit of that of the, of that jerk in them. Because they because it either it, it's been their personality all throughout their life into their career, or they've learned to develop that because they know that's what it get. It's going it breeds the most results. But I mean, Saban only coached to win a national title three different decades: two thousands, twenty tens, twenty twenties. Never had a losing season as a college coach. Only coach in SEC history with multiple Heisman Trophy winners. Obviously, Derrick Henry, Bryce Young, Devonta Smith, uh, Mark Ingram. Forty-nine first-round draft picks, 10, 16 straight ten-win seasons. That's the most in any co- most uh, by any coach in college football history. One hundred and nine weeks where his team was ranked the best in the nation via the AP poll. That's the most ever. One hundred and four wins versus AP ranked top twenty-five opponents. That's the most by any coach in history. And nine wins when his team wasn't number one over uh, the AP number one ranked teams in the country. Most by any coach in the history of. Uh, most ranked most by the history of anyone in the sport. Um, I'm trying to find you. 49 players selected in the first round of the NFL draft. The guy just just a, a legend, a legend. And get this: no class recruited by Alabama with Saban there played four years without winning a national championship. Think about that for a minute. No player. None whatsoever. That's pretty damn good. And shit, I I don't I don't know what else you want me, what what more you want me to say. The guy was a damn good coach. Now the reasoning of why he was uh, the reason why he decided to walk away was because of the fact that and he admit this to the media earlier this week that he fe- that he felt like. Um, that he felt like, you know, that this season took a lot out of him more than the ones have in previous years, how, you know, when he recruits players and he talks to them and talks to their family and everything else, you know, they, he gets asked the question, you know, is it going to be a guarantee that he's going to be there for the next three to four years? And he admitted that as he's gotten older, it's a little hard. It's gotten harder and harder for him to answer that question, uh, truthfully. And also you could just tell by his, you know, that you, uh, that you, you can just tell by his body language, at least I could on the outside looking in, um, that, that this seat, that he was smelling, you know, you ever hear, hear that phrase, stop to smell the roses. You had that feeling that Saban had a little bit more of that stop to smell the roses mentality, um, you know, in terms of how he went about in his demeanor and his body language throughout the season. You know, typically if a, if a, if a Saban team, you know, 
they 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 don't play up the snuff. They win a game that they win by the head. They chinny chin chin against an inferior opponent, or they got to get taken, you know, down to a fourth and long, you know, to beat an unranked SEC opponent that they should have beaten by, you know, two touchdowns. Typically, Saban's going to be like, "Yeah, it was a great win, but this was unacceptable. This was unacceptable. We we can't do this. We can't do that. We got to fix this. Fix that." Uh, bad job by by on on me by player X Y Z this that and the third and this season especially like the Auburn game it was like you heard him talking he took a different approach he was like well this game you know was and I'm paraphrasing this game was more so like you know like he was he used them he used Alabama's comeback against Auburn in that game as a life lesson. And he, and he, like, he compared it to life. You know, not everything is going to be sugar and spice and everything nice in the beginning. It's about, you know, you getting up off the deck, battling back, having the heart of a champion, not giving up X, Y, and Z. And if you do that, you know, you, you're going to be, you're going to be very successful as you were today. And typically, you know, Saban, at least from me listening to him talk to the media and seeing, you know, and, and, and being a fan of college football, that's that's very unsabinesque, at least going off of previous history. So I very very uh, I mean it's it's just he typically didn't talk like that. And you like you kind of and even at, and even in the in the Michigan game, you know I didn't recall him you know throwing a bunch of fits and temper tantrums and throwing crap. You know when uh you know when when they had issues with the snaps with the center or him flipping out you know when uh, when the snap was bad on their final play on fourth and goal and uh, and they decide to ha- put the ball in Miro's hands to run up the gut and he gets nowhere. I mean he he didn't see him you know flip out and like lose his mind. It's just you know and, and like the act of loud body language that you see you know throwing the hands in the air, him snatching his headset off, slamming the headset down on the ground and standing there. He just he, I got a different feeling, different vibe from from him this year. It kind of reminded me of of Brady's body language and what was his first final game in the playoff game two years ago against Tampa uh, against Tampa. He was in Tampa against uh, against the Rams. How the only time you really saw Brady, you know, have his usual fiery, you know, outbursts was when he yelled at the ref when uh, when I think it was Von Miller, if I'm not mistaken. Like shoved him, like shoved and pushed Brady in the face, you know, with his face mask, and he and he cut his lip, and he had a bloody lip for the rest. of the, That's the only time I can recall. That's the only time in that game I can vividly remember Brady flipping out, and he flipped out at uh, at the referee Sean Oculey, and he got flagged for his first ever fifteen yard penalty on sportsmanlike conduct. Uh, but that's the only time in that game. And then remember, if you guys remember, the Bucks were getting their asses kicked in the first half. And typically, and you obviously saw it the way how he reacted the, the following season, how he just, he kind of like had a, had a weird aura of calmness about him, which was, which was va- which is very unbrady like. And Brady is like Saban in terms, uh, Brady's like Saban in terms of the aspect of them you know, they're Belichickian in their approach, but they're not Belichickian in terms of, like, their demeanor and how they handle themselves on the side. You know, Belichick, you have to push him. Push him and push him and push him and push him and push him. 
till you see him, you know, throw crap on the, you know, throw iPad, slam the phone, go crazy. Unless he's yelling at the ref. I'm talking about like with his own players or him reacting to his team out there. You have to push Belichick in order for him to to have a a, a, a grandioso outburst, you know, to for 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 the eyes to see on the sideline. Brady and Saban, it it won't it won't take much. They'll throw things. They'll throw their helmet. Throw the tablet, iPad, scream, yell, cuss. Just, just go all out and throw a full-on tantrum. And you, I got similar vibes from Saban this year and even in the Rose Bowl game, you know, that, that was very uncharacteristic of him. Like, he, like, you looked at, like, for years you looked at Saban and, like, you didn't see an old man. Like, you saw a man that was, like, in his 50, 60-year-old man that was still young at heart, Fire and brimstone would still raise hell and, and yell at you and cuss you out to the cows come on. This year you kind of saw a little bit more you taste you saw Saban a little bit more tamer, you know, gentler light, so to speak. At least from the outside looking in, that's how I, that's uh, that's how I saw it. He was a little bit more he's tames the tamer Saban than he was in those years. Which I guess was a sign right there that that the writing was on the wall for him to call it quits. On top of the fact, you just knew that he that he just did not have the patience nor the talent, especially being in the uh, coaching college football since the early seventies. You just you know going back to, again as his days as a grad assistant at Kent State, you just knew that he was did what did not have the tolerance and not want to be bothered to basically work double time at his advanced stage and having to deal with NIL and transfer portal portals uh, with the transfer portal nil and the and the you know potential for lack of uh of consistent continuity and he basically did not want to have to you know deal with what college basketball coaches have to deal with and that's you know 80 to 90 percent roster turnover on a year-in year-out basis yes he knows guys can go to the nfl but the, the the transfers moving in and out and, and and basically the NIL becoming like a huge incentive to get players to play and for certain programs, he didn't want to deal with that. And quite frankly, when you when you've been in involved in cots in coaching college football for as long as he had, he didn't have to. Didn't have to. Saw the writing on the wall, didn't try to fool himself, he decided to walk away. So the great uh Nick Saban retires after a long, tremendous Hall of Fame college football coaching career godspeed and i wish him the nothing but the best and for him and his family in retirement now i want to go back to belichick before we get into the uh get into the playoffs this thing about it this week in terms of the coaching news within the game of football has been so crazy has been so busy has been so jam-packed you could do a three-hour football show, podcast, radio, TV. You could do a multiple-hour show, football show, and not have to talk about the NFL playoffs, and you'd still be able to fill up airtime. That's how crazy. Like literally, if I wanted to, I could literally. And you guys saw it because I did. Because I did two hours. I, the, the second half of the show I uh, I uploaded yesterday. I did two hours. Of 75% of it, 80% of it, all coaching stuff. And not once, one time did I bring up anything regarding the six games this weekend. 
Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So I'm a, I tell you, I've been a football fan since 2006, 2007. And for all my years, I can never say, being a football fan, I can never say that I uh, that I have seen anything like this in terms of the ridiculous craziness that is the coaching carousel with with uh, with these coaches, and not just the NFL now, but but in college with with the announcement of Saban's retirement. I, I've I've never ever, and probably will never will again, never seen anything like it. Never. Now, they announced who Saban's successor will be, and that is Coach Kalen DeBoer. Uh, he, obviously, of the University of Washington's uh, Huskies football program, he will leave Washington and will have the most impossible job uh, there is in college football, and that is to uh, be Nick Saban's successor down at, down at Alabama. Uh, but he had an absolutely sensational season. Uh, had an absolutely sensational season up at a Washington, winning winning the final ever uh, Pac-12 uh, football championship, undefeated regular season up in, an undefeated season up until the uh, up until the national championship game on Monday. Wish him uh, wish him all wish him nothing but the best of success going forward for he. Um, is there anything else I want to get to? Oh yeah, Gerard Mayo. So I woke up this morning and found out that the New England Patriots immediately did not waste any time as well finding uh finding Bill Belichick's successor, and that is Gerard Mayo, two-time Super Bowl champion with the with the New England Patriots. Uh, Super Bowl. He was on that Super Bowl. Uh, Super Bowl. Uh, fifty. Uh, fifty. What the fuck am I talking about? Super Bowl forty-nine team for. New England 10 year, 10 years ago he was there uh, previously for New England he was there he was there he was one time Super Bowl champion I apologize he was only on that 2014 team he was there from 08 to 2015 so he, so he only won the one championship back in the 2014 season but he got there in 2019 Brady's finally you're there inside linebackers coach from uh, 19 to this past football this well the Patriots of this past football season in 2023 and is named as Bill Belichick's successor here in 2020 for the 15th head coach in the history of the New England Patriots. Well, I give Belichick, if he had any uh, say-so in who his success was going to be, and Kraft, I give him credit for, uh, you know, for giving it to, for giving uh, this job opening. And also keep in mind, I didn't even realize this too. The last time the pa- the Patriots had not had to, the rules with the head coaching search had changed so much since the last time the Patriots, at least prior to the last 24 hours, had to look for a head coach. The Rooney rule now is now is is now in effect that they have to abide by the various amounts of uh the various amounts of new rule changes in terms of interviewing and looking for coaches that are on teams that are competing whose teams that they're that they're currently coaching are in the playoffs. 
it's it's different, and and I got that when I was watching first take on Thursday morning, and they had Adam Schefter on. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. There are some different rules that this that the uh, Patriots got to, uh, got to abide by now that that weren't there when they were looking for a head coach, uh, back in two th- back in the um. Back in the early 2000s, at the turn of the new millennium, but that is—I didn't—I didn't pick up on that. But I give uh, Belichick if he had any say so, and I give the Kraft family credit for giving uh, a job opening to after Belichick was there for for damn near 25 years, giving him to, giving that job to a person of color, uh, which we certainly need. You know, the league is over 70 percent black, and yet uh, and yet finding black NFL head coaches is few and far in between. So I give. Uh, the Kraft family and Belichick, if he had his hands in it as well, uh, to making sure that uh, to in- help increase the number the number of representation of black head coaches in the National Football League, and giving it to somebody on staff, that being uh, Gerard Mayo, Super Bowl champion, former teammate of Tom Brady's, who played under Belichick, and kind of gets the whole Patriot Way mantra and everything else. Um, whether it's a smart move, I, eh, I'm not sure. Um, I, I can't criticize the move too much because it's not like that the New England Patriots are in a situation where they are as a football team where they need where you know, a la the Chargers, the Seahawks, um, you know, teams like that where they're a coach and a couple of solid draft picks away from being a contender again. The New England Patriots are in a are in the nasty part of of what's going to be a deep rebuild for him. the New England Patriots are not going to see the playoffs for the for a hot minute, you know, and hot minute meaning you know by the you know twenty twenty six twenty twenty seven at the earliest they won't be back. They will not be competing for a playoff spot for the next two for the next season or two or possibly three. So it's not like that Mayo is going to be the guy that you have to worry about, you know, can he go on the road in Kansas City and Baltimore and Cincinnati and get through or Buffalo and take down the juggernauts of the AFC to get to a Super Bowl. The Patriots are not there yet. They're 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 lacking talent as we immense talent as on especially on the offensive side of football as we well know it's a rebuilding team that's looking for a new identity that needs a new franchise quarterback I'm not going to be so quick and trigger happy to jump down a Patriots throat for hiring a, a linebackers coach to be Bill Belichick's success when the team's going through a when the team's going through a rebuild and won't have to worry about you know head co- won't have to worry about evaluating and hiring and recruiting head coaches that can win them a Super Bowl, uh you know for you know for the next for see for at least for the next five ish years or so because the Patriots are a long ways away from returning back to Super Bowl uh, contention again. It's just I mean and and it's <clears throat> excuse me it's just the way it it's just the way it is you know every team in in every sport unless you're you know the New York Yankees. You know the New York Yankees or the Dodgers. Every team, especially in football, goes through it. Every team goes through it. Salary cap league. You know the 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 Cowboys had to go through it after their '90s dynasty. The Steelers had to go through it after their '70s dynasty. The uh, I'm trying to th- you know the Patriots going through it now after their 2000s, the early 2010s dynasty. Every franchise in football in the salary cap era has to go th- has to go through this process. 
It's just it ha- it's how it it's how it works. It ha- it's how it it's how the business and how the sausage is made. And if you get a head coach that's going to be you know average at best or may not you know be and nobody's going to be Belichick. Don't get me wrong, but is he's who's not going to be you know all that in a bag of chips, so to speak. You're gonna have to live with it. You're going you're going through a rebuild. And that's and again and that's with any organization. When any organization has to say goodbye to the coach or in baseball's case the manager after a you know w- when their dynasty days and a championship competition days are long behind them and they're going through the process of a deep rebuild, you can't really criticize you know the at least initially the de- the decision of who the new manager or who the new coach is going to be because at the end of the day it's not the the evaluation is not whether or not they can win you championships or whether or not they can win you games to get you into the to get you into the playoffs and having them win playoff games for you or in basketball and baseball's case playoff series the key is can he just be be the CEO of the team, and can the team play just as hard for him under him as they did Belichick? And can new life and him being a new face and a new voice, and being a younger face and a younger voice, can that help pick up the slack from which Belichick lacked in his final few years there? That's basically what the what the Mayo hire comes down to. Wanting to keep that same old Patriot way mantra and standard of excellence and 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 sound fundamentals intact, while also providing new life, new energy, and younger life and younger energy into the building. But you know, if if Gerard Mayo, co- you know, he goes out and he coaches the Patriots next season, and the Patriots, you know, finish with a. With a with a with a five and eleven with a five and twelve or four and thirteen record, who's really gonna who's who's gonna scream? It's part you're you're a rebuilding franchise, you know that said goodbye to the final piece the final piece of your dynasty. It was par for the course. It happens. You guys will be back, you know eventually. Well, you, you might not win six Super Bowls again once you get back to to uh, to uh, championship competing relevancy, but it's not going to last forever. Kraft's a good owner, good boss, knows what the hell he's doing. It, this this the Patriots will not. I won't. At least I don't think under the Kraft family's uh, reign and run, the Patriots will not return to what they were back back in the nineteen seventies. I I be I be hard pressed to to think that once you snap Brady and Belichick out the picture, the Patriots will go back to being the doormats of the National Football League. They will be, they are now, and they will be for a good little while. But I do not anticipate and do not think that they will that they will stay down for long. Because because if anything, the fan base won't let Kraft and or his his uh, his sons let the team get that bad. They'll be like, "Hey, we're still old enough to remember when we, when the AFC, when we were competing in the AFC Championship game every single year, and going to the Super Bowl was damn near an annual thing." So even if the, even if there is lapses in terms of how the organization is run, I don't believe for a second that the fan base will let things get that bad where they will take and remove the feet from the from the fire that they'll hold the Patriots. Uh, you know, uh, controlling bosses 
if, uh, they they won't they they won't they won't remove the pages controlling boss's feet from that fire. They won't. The the older Patriot fan, different story. But the one that you know that was born in between, uh, in between nineteen ninety and two thousand and four, nah. They won't. No, and, and to a certain degree, they shouldn't. They should still have the same. They should be understanding, and I basically, you know, be all upset and getting there and getting all pissed off and all annoyed, you know, when the Patriots have, the, you know, have some bad seasons, and all of a sudden, and if the Jets ever find a way to pull pull their head out of their ass, they start returning the favor and start beating up on the Patriots. So they shouldn't overreact, but they also should have in the back of mind said, "Hey, I understand it's a process." But in due time, I want to see us getting back to playing in January in the stadium again, as they absolutely should. Within reason, but they should. So, but Gerard Mayo, wish him all the best, uh, taking over for BB up at Foxborough as well. Uh, and let me get to this before I get to the games. The idea that if you're the National Football League and you're going to put a playoff game exclusively on a streaming service is an absolute disgrace. And part of me is a quote-unquote phony because I, when I got up this morning, I made sure that I bought a Peacock, the Peacock uh, Premium uh, uh, service so I can make sure that I could watch the game on Saturday night. What am I supposed to do? I mean, if it's a regular season game, a la you know Bills Chargers or Saturday before Christmas, that's one thing. And I and I and I uh, had the we- didn't have the wherewithal, but I stuck to my guns and I you know said, listen, I'd be damned if I'm gonna sit up here and pay for you know pay to watch a re- pay to watch a regular season game. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not doing it. I watched the Bengal game, so I'm get their asses kicked. And I went on. And I took my business and my eyes to watch something else. So if it's a if it's a regular season game on Peacock, that's one thing. You know, I can I cannot watch Bills and Chargers and live. Okay, I, I I can live with that. Thursday night football, you put it on streaming. I don't love it. I, I'm I'm not in huge favor of it. But when the other networks didn't want to pay the didn't want to pay the freight because the NFL was going to give them a discount as we've discussed nine thousand times. If they don't want to give the NFL a discount, and rightfully so, and the NFL has no choice but to take their uh, god awful Thursday night football uh, streaming package to uh, or excuse me Thursday night football uh, broadcast schedule to streaming. You know what? It is what it is. Amazon Prime Video. Everybody had, and they may not everybody may may watch Amazon Prime, but everybody has the Amazon Prime subscription. If you order packages from Amazon nine times out of ten, you probably do have Amazon Prime. It, it's not the it's not the best thing in the world, but it's but it ain't the end of it either. But you know, and and baseball and the other sports, same thing. You know, do I love the fact that you know I gotta wake up and at twelve thirty on a on a Sunday on a Sunday afternoon I gotta you know I gotta find and, and scramble to Peacock to watch you know the Orioles and uh, you know to watch the Orioles and the and the Twins? No, I I don't. I wanna I wanna watch the Orioles on my regular Masson or a, or any you know or. You know, for you baseball fans out there nationwide, on your local RSN television network, I don't, I don't want to wait, you know, and have to go to the Peacock and search and find and hope that the internet doesn't crap out and that the bandwidth isn't all clogged up. 
because of whatever, you know, because of too many people. I don't want to have to deal with that. I want to uh, wait. I want to 1 o'clock, turn, 1 o'clock, 1.30, turn the game on, watch the Orioles play. But they put or the Orioles were on Peacock about what maybe say they were on Peacock three times. One of them they were on, they were fortunate because they were because they were on NBC when they played Atlanta back in early May, and the other two times they were on Peacock when they played Chicago on Father's Day, and they were on Peacock when they played the Twins uh, back in back in early July. Do I love the fact they were on Peacock those days? No, but regular season game baseball. I don't love it, but regular season game push came to shove. If I didn't want to pay for it and if I didn't want to bother fooling with the TV to watch it, I can always listen on the radio. Baseball's a radio a radio game anyway. But if you you know, and even it's baseball. Same thing with Apple TV. Do I love the fact that that the Friday night baseball games during the summertime on Apple TV, and I gotta you know basically scramble on my on, on the very few smart TVs I do have in my house that's uh, that's compatible and updated that carry Apple TV on it on its own. Do I love the fact I gotta scramble with that and I gotta fidget you know because I don't want to hear that god awful broadcasting crew and I gotta fidget and make sure I can sync up the radio broadcasts with the. Video Visual uh, video that I'm seeing. Do I love that I, the fact that I have to do that for you know the five or so times the Orioles are on Friday Night Baseball on that stupid Apple TV? No, but I deal with it and I and I and I do it because I'm an Orioles fan. It is regular season, and if push comes to shove, if I got something to do that Friday, I allow when they were on Apple TV. Two years ago, when my the on the twenty seventh of May, the night that my brother graduated high school, I blew it off. Okay, I was I, I went to my brother's graduation. I blew off the game. They were in Boston that night, if I'm not mistaken. I blew the game off. Blew it off. Now, fortunately, I do have I do have an iPhone, and Apple TV app is right there, so I didn't have to worry about you know going through the machinations at home watching it on TV. So, if anything, me being out made it easier to watch the game rather than me being at home. But you get the idea. Regular season baseball, I don't love it, but I'll tolerate it. NFL football, I'll blow it off. You know, they put it on the Saturday before Christmas. Thursday night football, I'll stomach it. I, I have Amazon Prime. My dad has Amazon Prime. Uh, you know, I have a PS4 that's got all that's got all these the streaming apps on it. I got uh, three smart TVs in my home that have uh, am, that have Amazon Prime video on it. I'll, I'll 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 pick and choose, and plus half the games stink anyway. So if the game is bad, I want they could put the game on. They could put the game on uh, on 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 CBS ESP. They could put the game on CBS ABC and NBC on one big big super mega cast. If the game stinks, I'm not watching the game to begin with with Thursday night football anyway. But anyway, I digress. But where I draw, well, where I get annoyed, and where I get pissed off. And where I asked my, uh, I asked the NFL, really, this, this is what the hell you guys want to do now? Where it gets to be a point of ridiculous and being a pig and being greedy and just, just really, just being just a gluttonous slob that you know that 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 that's, that's developed a, a sick, sick, sick overindulgent love for money is when they put a playoff game. On Amazon Prime, you put a play, or excuse me, on on Peacock. When you put a playoff game on a streaming service, that's 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 what that's where you lose me, and that's where I got, and that's where I gotta say something. And I do not care. And I know some of you people are gonna be out there saying, "Well, guy, uh, according to certain data, uh, the future of television is streaming." And uh, studies show that uh, more uh, people, the younger generation, watch TV via streaming. 
I don't want to hear it. That is bullshit. I do not want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it on a on a on a bevy of of different notions. A, okay. A, first off, the NFL is not like the NBA, where the majority of their fan base is that of Generation Z and Millennials. The NFL still, and that's why they're still the NFL. The NFL captivates and is multi-generational in its popularity. My generation loves it. The millennials love it. My thought, the, the, I, what are they, uh, Gen X, that generation that was born from the, from the mid sixties through the late seventies, that generation, that generation loves the NFL and the boomers, the, you know, the guy, the people that were born in mad dogs generation and, and the ones that were, and the ones that were, uh, that were, uh, born in my grandmother's generation, they love the NFL. Old NFL fans from the ages of 5 to 95. It's a weekly event. That's why it's so popular. And one reason why the NFL is able to maintain its popularity is because unlike the NBA and unlike Major League Baseball, you know on a weekly basis what networks the games are on. From the 50s up until 93, you knew that you were going to find NFL football at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on CBS. You knew from the 60s all the way through the late 90s you were going to find football on NBC. You knew with the inception of Monday Night Football, you were going to find NFL football on Monday nights on your local ABC station from 1970 up until 2005. And as of recently, over the last four or five years, you're going to find Monday Night Football on ABC. You know what networks the games are going to be on. You know what channel your local your local CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox station is. You just know it. You know it. You're a Ravens. You're a Ravens fan. You know nine times out of ten, unless you're told otherwise, that the that the Ravens are going to be showed on local channel thirteen WJZ TV CBS Baltimore. You know that, and that plays into why football has become so so big on television and why they draw such big ratings. Everybody knows what networks and what channels the game is going to be on. You don't have to sit back. Is it on TNT or TBS, MLB Network, Fox, FS1, uh, uh, you know, is it uh, Peacock, Once in a Blue Moon on NBC? You don't have you don't have to play those games. NBC Sportsnet, CNBC, NHL. You don't, you don't have you don't have to worry about that. Playoff games, NHL on CNBC. Uh, you know, MSNBC, uh, NBC Sportsnet, USA. Come on now. Baseball putting their playoff games on MLB Network and FS1. Come on. Even NCAA tournaments putting their tournament games on, on freaking True TV. I mean, come on. And you spit. In the face of all of us, ones that the ones that are part of my generation, my the young fan such as me and the older fan especially. 
the retired 73-year-old Kansas City Chiefs fan that lives in Wichita, Kansas. They, they don't live, and I understand the argument that you're going to be making. Well, Jai, you know, <clears throat> in the local market, you, you know, you're going to be able to see the game on your local NBC station. Yeah, but, in, but for a team like the Kansas City Chiefs that spreads throughout the, 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 the quote-unquote flyover part of the country, there, there, there's no team in St. Louis. That's it. The only teams that you have in that middle of the country outside of the state of Texas is the and and Minnesota is Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs fans in the in the Dakotas, Chiefs fans and Chiefs fans uh, in Oklahoma, Chiefs fans in Kansas, Chiefs fans in Missouri, all throughout that portion of the United States that don't nest that don't automatically and 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 and, and by proxy live in in the in the greater Kansas City Missouri Kansas City Kansas markets and the poor and the poor 73 year old retired Chiefs fan that goes back to watching game super, you know, super Bowl 4 with Lenny Dawson with Hank Stram mic'd up on the sidelines is going to be kicking and screaming and 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 calling his his sons, his daughters, his uh his his nieces and nephews, his great nieces, great nephews, his grandchildren, trying to figure out how the hell he's going to be able to pick up the game so he can watch his Chiefs try to embark on winning their third uh, Super Bowl in the last four or five seasons, freezing their tails off to do so. By the way, which I get to, which I'll get to later on as the show progresses, but still. Just unacceptable, putting a playoff game on a streaming service. And I want to hear the garbage about, well, streaming's the future. Well, how in the world can you honestly sit there and tell me with a straight face that streaming is the future for live TV, at the very least in terms of the National Football League, when they just signed a brand new TV contract with the networks for the last 10 years, for the next 10 years? If streaming's that big of a deal, they would have said, listen, CBS, we're re-upping with you, but all your games are on Paramount Plus. Uh, uh, ESPN, Monday Night Football, we're get, putting the games on Monday night, but your games, you're not on regular ESPN, you're on ABC and strictly ESPN Plus, that's it. Uh, NBC, all your Sunday football games, not on NBC no more. Do what you want with the, do what you want with those three hours of television on Sunday nights. We're sticking the games on Peacock. They would have done that, and they would have had the power to do that. The networks bend at the will at the NFL, not the other way around. If they would have said, okay, futures, the streaming of us broadcasting our games is streaming, they would have told the three networks that have streaming services to put their games on their streaming apps. Peacock, Paramount+, Plus, ESPN+. Plus. They would have told them all, but they didn't. Fox, Hulu. They don't have an official, 21st Century Fox doesn't have an official streaming uh, platform like all the other networks do, but you get the idea. But I don't want to hear the hogwash. Oh, streaming's the future. Not the future as in maybe, you know, 2033. But in 2023, people still like to watch their live events via over-the-air network television. Their TV shows, different story. But I know that when it comes to these three things, pol the news, political debates, uh, uh, award shows, and, and sporting events, they want to watch them on over-the-air network television, still in 2023. 
They don't want to have to fiddle and fool around with, with, with what streaming service is this event on and that event. They don't want to have to, not when it comes to sports. When they want to watch their favorite TV show, rewatch old movies, stand up comedy specials, it's, you know, that's different. But when they want to watch live sporting events, they want to watch the games on regular over the air television. They don't want to have to go on a scavenger hunt and a wild goose chase to find a playoff game. Chiefs and Dolphins, no less. Tyreek's return to Arrowhead. They don't want with the with this game essentially with the with the with the frigid temperatures out to be the ice bowl two point. They don't want to have to deal with this. And yet the NFL for a hundred and ten million dollars. That's you do the math. That's three and a half million dollars per per owner to stick that game on Peacock, which is a joke and an utter disgrace. And they know the NFL. They know that within its fan base, we are a bunch of saps. We will put up with a crap ton of stuff. Because we love their product and are addicted to their product so much. They know that we will put up with them sticking uh, sticking a playoff game on Peacock. We'll put up with them we'll put up with them uh, sticking a playoff game playoff games now on Monday night football. We'll put up with the Thursday night foot with the putting the Thursday night football games on streaming and Thursday night football being a thing in general. We'll put up with the expensive ticket prices. We'll put up with the, with them uh, stealing home games from local markets to stick the games out in freaking Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and in Munich, and in Munich, Germany, and in London. We'll put up with them pricing us out of the Super Bowl, especially if they have it. In, if they have it in the extravagant cities such as Los Angeles and Las Vegas, we'll put up with it. And if any of us, me, you, me, you, anybody else out there listening, or any, all millions of us football fans out there had any guts, had any backbone, we'd tell the NFL, literally, with, 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 uh, with our viewership and with our, and with our money, we'd tell them all collectively, the NFL and NBC, we'd tell them collectively, go to hell and we'd find something else to do on Saturday night. Watch a movie, take the kids out, go to dinner. We we'd find something else to do with, with, with our with our Saturday night. We'll tune in the Sports Center or the NFL Network at about eleven thirty, quarter to midnight to catch the highlights and, and the post game fallout after the fact. And it's the same NFL that 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 has YouTube charging an arm and a leg for the Sunday ticket package. That oh by the way also wants their handout for their NFL Plus. Subscription service too. I mean, you got to be kidding me. If you're the NFL, if you're Roger Goodell, haven't y'all made enough damn money? Seriously, haven't y'all made enough money? When is enough enough? My goodness gracious. The greed. And I've said it once and I'll say it again. If the NFL doesn't stop, 
greed and gluttony will be the downfall of this league. If they don't stop, if they don't stop chasing every nickel, every buck, which is which is slowly but surely killing its product, the NFL as we know it will be no mas if they don't get a, if they don't get a grip and get a hold of themselves. The ex, the extra regular season games, expanding the playoff field, Thursday night football, the international games. The now with the playoff game on a streaming service. Stop. Enough's enough. Stick the let me get so the Cleveland Texan game is good enough to be on NBC. The Ram Lion game is gonna be is good enough to be put on regular over the NBC. Why isn't this game? Why? Because you want to basically move the needle and boost your subscription and prove to the NFL that, yes, we can put more playoff games and more games on Sully Peacock in the future? Why? Greed and the love of money. That's why. They'll stick my homes on there hoping that the damn thing will work. And us as fans, we're caught between a rock and a hard place. And a jam sandwich. We want to watch the game. It's a playoff game. We've been there through 18 weeks. Why wouldn't we watch a playoff game, especially ones with one with Mahomes in it? Yet in the back of my mind, we low-key don't, don't want to watch the game so they don't get any ratings. So come next season, the NFL will think twice before they decide to put a playoff game on that stupid streaming service. When will the greed end? When will it end? It's enough. That's being a pig and exercising in greed and gluttony. It's got to stop. It's got to stop. It'll be their downfall. $110 million, like Jerry Jones needs an extra $3.5 million in his pocket. Why don't you take that $3.5 million and maybe help the, the homeless problem in this country? Come on now. We move things along. Get into the games for a change. My goodness gracious. All this talk and fodder about coaches and now it's the streaming service stuff. Let's get to the games. It is playoff time, ain't it? We only got one, two, three, four more Sundays of NFL football left. Three, three where you have more than one game on the one day. Not obviously counting Super Bowl Sunday. Let's get right into it. Uh, with the game that will kick things off, will kick the festivities off on uh, Saturday afternoon, and that being this game with the Cleveland Browns and the Houston Texans. Did you guys know that Joe Flacco is undefeated in the wild card round? You can look it up. Joe Flacco, undefeated. Never lost in the wild card round in his entire NFL career. 
You have that. And then you have the Houston Texans, who, granted, are injured to Helen back, but it doesn't matter. Because C.J. Shroud is playing at an elite level that... <laughs> playing at an elite level that he is so he's so much of a wizard and he's played so well you see how I basically he had like eight seconds where I just didn't say anything just had dead air that's how great he's been he's been so good and has been so masterful uh for Houston this year that he that you think about it and you try to put it into words and you can't you lose your train of thought because that because that that's how good he is. I mean, you think about it, and boom, CJ Stroud's made another made another great play in your head. He has played absolutely phenomenal for the Houston Texans this season. You have the, really, and these is and this is a matchup between two coaches that I think, at the end of the day, are going to be your one two candidates to win Coach of the Year this year this season. Kevin Stefanski and the job that he's done with four different starting quarterbacks and finding a way for his team to not only win over double digits, but to make the playoffs as the fifth seat, not the seven. And for this team to continue to play as as hard and as physical and as uh, impassioned as they've been, despite every wrench that's been thrown in their direction throughout this entire season, whether it's Deshaun, the, with Deshaun Watson injuring his shoulder, having to go from backup to backup to backup, uh, who can obviously forget Nick Chubb with the, the gruesome knee injury he suffered in the Steeler game back in September. I mean, and the team has just, they have not wavered. They haven't, they have not wavered and they have believed in themselves, believed in each other. Amari Cooper uh, has done a sensational job stepping up in uh, in uh, Nick Chubb's absence, especially within the last month or so. David Njoku's been Joe Flacco's right-hand man. It's been a safety blanket ever since he took the reins as the starting quarterback. The defense is still solid. Jim Sports has done a hell of a job coaching that defense for him this season. And this is really a game where, at least in my opinion, just looking at it objectively, it's a game that no team, you look at it and you say to yourself, no team deserves to have their season end come 7.30, 7.45-ish tomorrow evening because of how great of a season that they've had. Uh, despite all the odds, despite all the obstacles, I mean, it, the, here it is, It was, the Houston Texans a short year ago were among the laughing stock of the National Football League. And we were all criticizing them and really ridiculing them. Oh my God, what have they done? They ruined their own. They ruined their own tank. They won't get the number one pick in the draft. They won't have the opportunity to draft Bryce Young. And little did we know, them not having the ability to draft Bryce Young has been a blessing in disguise because of what C.J. Stroud has done for them this season. Now they played each other back on Christmas Eve, if I remember. Uh, if I remember correctly, and that was the game where uh, Amari Cooper uh, went. Joe Flacco and Amari Cooper just made the just made uh, NRG Stadium out to be their personal uh, out to be their personal uh, you know practice field. 
where they had a sensational day uh, in their 36-22 victory back on Christmas Eve. Cooper obviously had a big day, 11 receptions, 265 yards, caught two touchdown passes. Flacco, 368, threw for three touchdown passes. I think the key for this game, for the for the Cleveland Browns to and them winning it, is the ability, first of all, I want to see if Cleveland can run the ball. I want to see if they're, even without Nick Chubb, obviously, I want to see Cleveland, uh, see if they're going to make it a point of emphasis to run the ball in a foreign fashion to keep uh, Houston honest. Because they threw, the, they threw the football 44 times on Christmas Eve and they only ran the ball 30 times. So I'm looking to see if Stefanski will throw that wrench into, you know, the not necessarily a wrench into the game plan, but if he will keep that element of, of surprise in play with looking to run the football a little bit more, especially considering the big night Jonathan Taylor had last night in the Week 18 finale against Houston where he was the best player on the field offensively for Indianapolis, and he ran for 188 yards on 30 carries. I want to see, and they haven't been as good of a, and they have not been a solid, uh, they have not been a great defense, I should say, uh, against the run this season, especially highlighted by their uh, performance against, when they allowed Jonathan Taylor to roam free at Lucas Oil Stadium on Saturday. So I want to see if if Cleveland can somehow, you know, I understand, you know, not play scared and all of a sudden hide Joe Flacco when he's played his ass off the last month and change, but will they keep an introduce, will they keep an element of surprise of, in terms of making sure that the run game uh, is at least there for Houston to respect and game plan against defensively. That's what I want to see. And in terms of Houston, um, some jitters. Because, listen, and they're playing with house money just like Cleveland's playing with house money. But Houston is the home team. It's the second time they've played. Uh, they've played. Uh, they've played each other in the last three weeks. And C.J. Stroud, the rookie quarterback, first go around at this. D'Amico Ryan's first go around at this with him as well. Stefanski, albeit a small sample size, He's coached in the playoffs before. Joe Flacco, obviously we don't need to go through his rap sheet because he played in the playoffs every single year for the Ravens from 2008 up until their Super Bowl championship season in 2012. So playoff football, especially playing it on the road wild card weekend, this isn't anything that's foreign to him. So, and again, like we discussed when the, with discussing Joe Flacco, you know, throughout this renaissance run that he's been on with Cleveland, he's playing with house money. What the hell does he have? What the hell does he have to lose? Go back to being a, go back to being a dad sitting on the couch and carpooling his kids to school every day. What does he have to lose? His, his, his legacy and what he's accomplished at the National Football League, especially uh, in terms of his playoff legacy, that's already defined. The only, the, the only thing Joe Flacco can do is build his legacy. He can't take anything away from it or kill it. Meanwhile, Shroud, franchise quarterback, first-round draft pick, you know, this is going to be his first, you know, big litmus test to really determine if this guy is going can be can be that guy, you know, Deshaun what we thought Deshaun Watts was going to be for 
uh, the Texans when he got drafted. Can you see C.J. Stroud taking the Houston Texans to a Super Bowl, and can he be that guy that can get the city of Houston their first ever Super Bowl championship? Now, no one's going to kill him or Ryan if they lose this game, but in terms of like the long-term level of expectations for this organization, this game is the first uh this game is the first stepping stone for the Texans fan and for us as football fans to determine if CJ Stroud is going to be that guy that's going to take the uh that's going to take the Texans organization to new heights. He's taken them to new heights already through the, through his first 17 games in, in the league. But can he take them to new heights and exceed expectations come January? That's, I think, what you got to look for heading in, heading into this game and the potential for jitters. You know, Cleveland's playing with house money. Ravens are the, are the best team in their division. They won a the division. Everybody and their mother thinks they go into the Super Bowl. It's basically a lock at this point. Cleveland's playing with house money. House money. Flacco especially playing with house money. They've been injured to hell and back, missing their tackles. Uh, you know, they the, the, got they have different tackles for them uh, for this game than they did when they began the season against my Bengals in Week One. No Nick Chubb, so we. I mean, the fact that Cleveland had a winning season and was able to make the playoffs is is a success in and of itself. Texas, on the other hand, it's the same ordeal, but there's that rookie sense of. There's that sense of urgency that those that the that the, I would imagine a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback would have, where it's like, okay, this is my first, you know, I've graduated and I and I'm here and I'm on the big stage. Let's not have uh, even if I even if we do come up small, let's not go out there and embarrass ourselves. I think would be a better I think would be a better way to communicate that. But I want to see if Cleveland, if they're gonna basically put the ball in Flacco's hands again and count on him for throwing, you know, the football throwing for over three hundred and fifty plus yards and multiple touchdown passes with the ball in his hands, you know, sixty percent of the time. Or are they gonna make it a little bit of a of a heightened importance of emphasis of running the football given the success that Jonathan Taylor had against their defense last week? That uh, that certainly I would like to see on Saturday, uh, Saturday afternoon, game number two, the Peacock game between the Dolphins and the Chiefs, and I heard reports, and then you've heard and you've seen the reports all week long about how ungodly cold it is going to be for uh, that game on Saturday night at Arrowhead, where the temperatures. Let me just pull it up for you here, live in real time. Where the temperatures for this game are going to be, the temperature right now at the time of this recording is 11 degrees. The high temperature for Saturday is 7 degrees. Low of minus 8. So the temperature is going to fall. <laughs> the temperature is going to fall. And come game time, the temperature will be negative 4, negative 5 degrees. With a wind chill of min of within under minus tw- under minus tw- in the minus twenties, bordering to minus thirty. Last time I checked, wind chill nearly thirty degrees below zero. Game time temperatures in the single digits. There is not a at least for me. I don't think, especially after what I've seen from the Miami Dolphins, they don't have a chance in freaking. Hell 
of winning this game, especially in these conditions coming up Sunday against, or excuse me, on Saturday night, tomorrow night against Kansas City Chiefs. They don't have a chance in hell to win this game. Not a chance. On top of the fact, which we've discussed ad infinitum earlier this week, last week after the Raven game, we've said it. This team is fraudulent, and this team cannot, for the life of them, find a way to beat teams with a plus 500 record. They just can't find a way to do it. They can't. Unless the team's named the Dallas Cowboys, and especially when they're on the road, they cannot beat superior competition. They can't. They, they all season long. Two losses to Buffalo, got spanked by the Ravens, lost to Philly, lost to Kansas City earlier in the season in Germany when their offense didn't decide to show up, and they wanted to spot the Chiefs' turnovers everywhere you look. They can't do it. They can't. Tua is a Tyreek Hill merchant. I've said this, had this thought, and I've screamed this all season long. He's a merchant of Tyreek Hill's high-end generational talent. He is an he is a system quarterback who's average at best, at best. And you take that quarterback who historically has ne- who has played substandard and has never won in games played in temperatures forty five degrees or colder. It's in that building against the defending champs on a short week after they just got finished blowing the division at home in the confines of South Beach to the Buffalo Bills. They don't have a prayer. They do not have a prayer. I'd be shocked if the if the Dolphins, on top of the fact they're going against that that damn good Kansas City Chiefs defense, which has been all world this season, Chris Jones having a solid season, he'll get paid handsomely this offseason. and then that secondary that's led by Ladarius Sneed, one of the best D, best young DBs in the National Football League. I'd be shocked, shocked if the Miami Dolphins score two touchdowns, two offensive touchdowns on Saturday night, I'd be shocked. Wind, frigid temperatures, a warm weather team that doesn't, who has a quarterback that doesn't play well historically in the, in the cold weather against that damn good defense and can't see it at Arrowhead where unless your quarterback is Joe Burrow or Tom Brady and you ain't got a chance at winning in that building come this time of the year, it's a wrap. It is a wrap. Again, I would be shocked, floored beyond belief, if the Dolphins scored two offensive touchdowns tomorrow night. Shocked. Because I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening. I don't trust Mc, I don't trust McDaniel with the play calling if Kansas with and when Kansas City takes Tyree Killaway. I understand uh, Jalen Waddle's going to play, but, you know, I mean... He's going to be injured and playing in coming off an injury and playing in that ungodly that ungodly cold weather. I mean, it's come on now. Put two and two together and 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 prognosticate the outcome that that's gonna that's gonna occur as a result. On top of the fact that McDaniel's he's got a solid running game, solid running game. But they do. But they at at times he likes to takes the ball out of his running back's hands and put the ball into Tua's hands, which we all know, as history has told us, can be can you know it results in bad news. So you take all that into the equation. On top of the fact, on Kansas City side of things, they got a damn good running game. 
Yes, it's going to be cold and the receivers can't catch when it's 80 degrees. They're not going to be able to catch when it's minus 30 below zero. But I don't think it's going to be a problem because they got a damn good defense, home field advantage, Patrick Mahomes is their quarterback, and they got a good running game. Here's what you need to do if you're the Kansas City Chiefs, if you're Matt Nagy, and if you're Andy Reid. Here's your game plan. You give the ball to Isaiah Pacheco damn near every single down, have everybody else get the hell out of the way and block for him. And when you get the ball on first and second, and when you get the ball in go-to-go situations inside the five-yard line, you put the ball in Mahomes' hands, you tell Mahomes to throw it only two players, really, really three. Pacheco out the backfield, Kelsey, and Rasheed Rice. That is it. Nobody else touches the ball. MVS doesn't touch the ball. Kadarius Tony doesn't touch the ball. That's 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 all you do. Remember that game when uh, that that game between the Patriots and the Bills up in Buffalo when they dealt with ungodly cold weather and the wind was swirling like crazy. December of 2021, and all Bill Belichick did was run the ball and he and he won the game. The the Kansas City Chiefs would be better off having that exact game plan. The 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 less amount of time that Dolphin offense sees the field, the better, because one in time possession in a game uh, where it's going to be cold like this and the wind's going to be a huge factor, especially in a passing game, it's paramount. You take care of the football, you dominate time of possession, you run the football down the Dolphins' throat. That injured average at best defense at that, you run the ball down their throat. Went dominate time possession, and you put the ball in your best player's hands. That is Mahomes, unless you at when you absolutely have to. Short yardage, short yardage downs, goal to go, and even then you throw the ball to these three names: Kelsey, Pacheco, and Rasheed Rice. That is it. MVS and Kadarius Tony shouldn't. You know that quote we talk about. Oh, I got some good cardio in today. That's what I need to be saying after the game. I got cardio in. They don't need to stay, let alone shouldn't even see the field. They shouldn't touch the football. Shouldn't touch it. Pacheco, Rice, Kelsey, throwing a little bit, Blake Bell, and that is the end of it. It's a simple game plan for Kansas City. Run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Run the ball. Dominate time of possession. And you tell Mahomes to do to work his Mahomes magic in short yardage situations. In the red area and on short downs. Short yardage downs. That, my friends, is a recipe of how Kansas City can advance to the divisional round. Running the football, controlling the clock, and playing great defense on the opposite side. And and hiding. You know, you can't hide your, your quarterback, but you can hide your wide receivers that can't catch. Hide them. Tell Travis Kelsey to get his mind right. And say, hey, receiving game, I'm going to need a big day out of you today. No screwing around, no farting around. I'm going to need a big day out of you today. Because with all due respect, if my season ends because if I'm a Holmes, this is what I'm telling Kelsey. Because with all due respect, if my season ends because Kadarius, Tony, and or MVS drops one more wide open pass, I'm, I'm a, I am going to lose my ever-loving mind. And this time, it won't be at the officials. You're going to have to hold me back from strangling one of my own damn teammates. 
If I was Mahomes, that's the attitude and the private heart-to-heart I would have with Travis Kelsey. When, I'm not going to throw the ball much, but when I do, I'm going to need you to be there for me. Outside of that, it's the Isaiah Pacheco show and let everybody get the hell out the way and let them run, you know, run like a cartoon character for 220 yards on 40 carries. And if the final score of this game, from a Kansas City perspective, is 13-3, to you'll live with it. You move on, you'll play next week. You'll live with it. But I, again, going back to my original premise with the Miami Dolphins, I would be absolutely stunned if they scored two offensive touchdowns in this game. Stunned. Stunned. And I know especially that, and if there's even any any extra motivation on top of the given for Kansas City, Tyree Kill is back at Arrowhead. First game back at Arrowhead, and it's a playoff game. And you just know Steve Spagnuolo is going to be like an evil mastermind of a genius is going to be like, hey, this how you stop Tyreek, you do this, that you do this, that, and the third, you line up, you line up against them on on this, on, you know, on 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 downs, on downs one and three. This is how you line up on second down. This is how you line up in short yardage. This is how you line up when you when you match up one on one with in the red zone with no help. This is how you match and you line up and you have help over the top on you know second and seven. He is going to he is going to break down every single last one of Tyreek Hill's tendencies. Down to a T. Which is another reason why I don't think Miami will have a big game. And, th- and why I think they'll lose. I don't, will Kansas City hang 50 points on them? I don't anticipate it. But will they shut down and dominate the Dolphins for 60 minutes? I 125% think that they will. It will be a, a, it'll be a good old-fashioned defensive slugfest where the name of the game is running the football and 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 dominating time of possession, it's gonna. I got a I got a funny feeling it's gonna be one of those games. And the Dolphins are not gritty enough and are not tough enough to withstand a game like that, especially in in those conditions coming up in Kansas City tomorrow night. I just don't see it. I would be floored if Kansas City somehow got upset by by my by Miami at home tomorrow night would be absolutely flabbergasted if they lost. They're four and a half point favorites. My opinion might as well be nine and a half. I'd be flabbergasted if the Dolphins score two touchdowns, let alone win this game. They don't in my opinion, they don't have a chance in hell on winning this football game. Not a chance. Not one. Pittsburgh Steelers, Buffalo Bills go to Sunday's action. This is a game where I think it's just going to be a big waste of time. And I tell you something right now. We've discussed Belichick. He, I don't care about him beating up on the Patriots, for, for beating up on Buffalo for 20 years. I could care less. If I'm the Pagoulas, I am getting on. I If McDermott finds and invents a way, along with Josh Allen with him being reckless with the football, but if Sean McDermott has another one of his harebrained, idiotic, asinine, you know, uh, brain melting moments that send Buffalo home and prohibits, or excuse me, enables, I should say, them to get upset by the nine point underdog Pittsburgh Steelers, Sands TJ Watt, 
Sean McDermott might as well not even go home, don't even meet with the media in the press room after the game. He might as well take an Uber from the stadium to the edge of Niagara Falls and jump off into the water or fire himself out of a cannon into his home and not even bother about not even bother to come back to work. Because if he and a Buffalo Bill somehow, some way lose this game and blow this game and uh, and somehow lose to this mid anemic inconsistent football team known as the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback by Mason Rudolph, this should be hell to pay. And I and if I'm the Pagulas, I could care less that my fan base hated him for two decades, and I could care less what he accomplished in New England. I'm picking up the phone, and I'm calling Bill Belichick to see if he wants to be the head coach of my football team. If McDermott fouls this up, or if McDermott fouls up uh, a second-round playoff game against against uh, against uh, Houston or Miami or Kansas City. I pick up the phone and I'm calling Belichick. Now it's playoff time now. Yes, he did a good job 6-6 six and six after Thanksgiving. The heartbreaking loss to Philadelphia got this team to not only end the playoffs, but they stole the division from Miami. I get that. You get a nice golf clap. It's a what have you done for me lately business. And when you're in playoff time, it's almost as like what you do in the regular season matters more so than it does. Oh no, it's not. It's to the point where what you did in the regular season is low key irrelevant. It's about what you do in the here and now. And the measuring stick we're going to hold Sean McDermott to is not necessarily what he did in the regular season. It's what he's done in postseasons past. Getting his team getting punched in the face in the 2020 AFC Championship game against Kansas City. The 13 seconds in the divisional round against them the following year. Them And then on top of them getting punched in the face by my Bengals at home in a snowstorm uh, the, the, following, the following season in, in, the, in the divisional round last year. That's going to be their measuring stick. And if they get punched in the face and or if they play a close game and McDermott is the reason why they lose because he can't either manage the game clock or can't count or decides to squib kick with 15 seconds or so left when Kansas City or or in this case either Pittsburgh or or whomever only needs a field goal to tie the game or win it and he does so and he pulls that stupid crap again. He deserves whatever fate comes down the tailpipe after the fact. And if it means he's out of a job, he's out of a job. No no, no tomfoolery with McDermott and Buffalo no more. If you're, if you're not going to get to the Super, Super Bowl, not even win it. If you're not going to at least get to the Super Bowl this season, when are you going to get to it? No Cincinnati, Jacksonville's out of the picture. When are you going to get Kansas City is not as good and is not as of a well-rounded football team this year than they have been in in seasons past and at a three seed, not the one. When are you going to get to the Super Bowl? If not now, Buffalo, when? So go ahead and screw up and play with your food, play down the competition and keep Pittsburgh in this game and screw and 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 and, 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 and screw around and find out and lose to this mid football team in Mason Rudolph and see what the hell is gonna happen in terms of the noise you'll hear after the fact. From not just from your own fan base, but from me and every other uh football fan and opinionist and analyzer with a microphone. Wait and see what they're going to have to say.
Go ahead and play around. I dare you. I dare you. They should go into this game, not fooling around, punch Pittsburgh in the face, and win this game going away 38-3 and, 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 and go ahead be going with it like Justin Timberlake and move on to the next round. Because they played around with their food last year, wildcard weekend against Miami, when they started a third-string quarterback in Skylar Thompson, and that game was a one-possession game, and Miami even had the lead, if I'm not mistaken, at one point in the second half which was unacceptable then, and if it happens again and it repeats itself a year later, it'd be unacceptable now. You're a better team in Pittsburgh, got a better quarterback, better roster, 1-53. Find a way to beat Pittsburgh and do it quietly to the point where I'm bored stiff, counting down till 4.30 for, for Cowboys and Packers. Steelers and Bills game number th- Steelers and Bills game number three. Game number four, Packers and Cowboys. This is a game, and this is another team that's got the, the the other two seed that's got the pressure on them. That you know, if they somehow get upset, uh, you know, by an inferior football team, they should be held to pay. The Dallas Cowboys, same goes for them too. They allow, and again, I can see the headlines. I can see. The, the 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 conversation topics on sports television now. Dak Prescott throws for 400 and something yards, three touchdown passes, and yet the Dallas Cowboys fall short and lose the game 38-31. I can see it as, as sure as I'm sitting here talking to y'all. I can see it. I can see it. I can see it. Let the Dallas Cowboys screw around and lose this game. And not only is the pressure obviously not only on Allen for the Bills and Prescott for the Cowboys, it's also, like with McDermott with the Bills, the pressure's on, on, on Mike McCarthy. Bill Belichick's waiting in the wings. Mike, or excuse me, uh, Mike Vrabel's waiting in the wings. Along with Pete Carroll. Three coaches. Two of them with Super Bowl championships. Belichick's got six. His resume stands on its own. Mike McCarthy has got one time, one time, and it won't only be game over for the Cowboys season yet again. If I'm Jerry Jones, I am firing him before the night is out. I'm firing him so fast that they have to lead with it for the Toyota halftime of Rams-Lions Sunday night. I'm firing him so fast. Lose to Jordan Love and the Green Bay Packers on Sunday. And again, it will be. It'll, he is so heinous with how he coaches and his piss poor clock management and 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 his lack of situational awareness during these games in terms of his play calling. That again, Dak Prescott can throw for five hundred yards and have a complete percentage of of seventy seven to eighty percent, and throw for five touchdown passes and 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 have a perfect passer rating. If Mike McCarthy can't manage a game clock or Andor chooses to throw the football when he should be running it, Tony Pollard's feeble running rushing stats be damned, and they give the and they give the Packers life and they and they blow a game 41-38 or 40-37 or lose a game 35-31 or lose a game 28-24, I he's he has got to go and get fired right there on the spot. 
on top of the fact it's against his old team too? Shit. I tell you something right now. If I'm Mike McCarthy, you manage, you coach this game like your job depends on it. You coach this football game. You call the offense like your job depends on it. Because if I was your boss, it damn well should. You're a better team than the Packers, better roster, 1 through 53, better quarterback, better offensive weapons, better players on defense with a better defensive coordinator. Find a way to win the football game. No self-inflicted mistakes with the laundry on the field, every single five seconds offside, through two zone infraction, illegal contact, holding, false starts, you know, passing, none of this. Dallas, you talk your crap, you puff your chest out, you know, the Ashley Nicole Moss of the world, the Dallas Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl, they're going to go to the Super Bowl, you're pounding the table, you're pounding the fist, the, 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 the JBs, the Skip Bayless of the world, how about them Cowboys? Well, how about them Cowboys go out there and kick the Packers' ass on Sunday? Because if you don't, I don't want to hear a lick, and I'm going to come back for y'all asses, and, 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 I'm, and you won't be able to hit the end of me. You're a better team than the Green Bay Packers. Go out there and prove it. Dak Prescott, take care of the football. Mike McCarthy, coach like you have a clue. And if the game is tight in the second half defense, find a way to get a stop. Because this defense hasn't been talked about a whole hell of a lot, but this defense ain't clutch. They're not clutch. And they can't stop the run either which would concern the living hell out of me too. Because all it takes is for Dallas to get the ball to start the game and have a couple of drives that don't go their way. Either they end in a field goal or it's two field goals or they get or they two possessions, they get no points. And all it takes is for Aaron Jones to have a career day, control the clock, dominate time of possession, keep the Cowboy offense on the sideline free, you know, frequently and ad nauseum. And you look up at the scoreboard, and the final score is tw- and the final score is twenty twenty one fourteen, Green Bay Packers. So the Dallas Cowboy defense, on top of all of on top of being clutch and find a way to get a stop if if their season is hanging in the balance, they gotta be able to stop the run. Because Aaron Jones has is 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 on a little bit of a hot streak. You look at his you look at his numbers. Uh, recently and how he performed. You look at how he performed uh, Sunday against against Chicago. 22 carries for 111 rushing yards. The week before that against Minnesota, 20 carries, a buck 20. Against Carolina Christmas Eve, 21 carries, a buck 27. He's been on a hot streak these last three games. And as we all know, what travels in the National Football League and what's a, a, a quick but efficient method to win playoff games, solid defense and a strong running game. Something that Green Bay has had the last few weeks, which is something that the Dallas Cowboys got to be ready for and looking to stop heading into the game on Sunday afternoon. The Sunday night game. And no, and all the pressure, by the way, for, for Green Bay, all the pressure is off Jordan Love. 
Once they made the playoffs, rookie, you know, with a one, the youngest roster in the National Football League, they made the playoffs. All the pressure is off of him. Lafleur, kind of, sort of, because he still's got his playoff demons. Personally, he's got to, he's got to, uh, he's got to, uh, 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 ex- he's got to extinguish uh, from the final few Rodgers years. But in terms of the rest of the roster, love everybody else. They're playing with house money. They got nothing to lose. Young roster, youngest in the National Football League this season, made the playoffs, seventh seed. They got nothing to lose. Go out there, play free, loose, have fun. And listen, you might you know, you might be on a plane to play San Francisco next week. You just never know. You just never know. The night game, which is the hardest game to call and the hardest game to predict. The Lions are three-point favorites against the Los Angeles Rams. Oh, boy. This is a game, obviously, with all the storylines. The Lions, their first-ever home playoff game at Ford Field. Their first-ever home playoff game. In about a generation, they have not won a they have not won a playoff game in eons since George H. W. Bush was last president. Obviously, they have the Matthew Stafford in making his first return to Detroit since the trade uh, since the trade in in January February of 2021 uh, in the COVID after the COVID after the uh, COVID season. You have all of that. Uh, you have all of that thrown into the equation. On top of the fact, and it hasn't been talked about a whole hell of a lot as well, how about Jared Goff? Jared Jared Goff was was thrown to the wolves. Jared Jared Goff was, you know, with how McVay threw him out the door, Jared Goff couldn't play no more. Jared Goff was washed. Jared Goff was a scrub. He was a bust. He couldn't play. Sean McVay said, yeah, I, I, I can't win with this guy. He's useless. He, he does not. I can't win a Super Bowl with him. I can't get back to Super Bowl with him. He does nothing for me. Shipped him off, shipped him off to, to Detroit and thought nothing of him. And how it bothered Jared Goff immensely that McVay did that to him. Yeah, McVay can't, you know, talk, got a hold of him and apologize, but the bottom line is he did it. He thought, man, I took you to a Super Bowl. I outdueled Hall of Fame quarterback Drew Brees. Got you to Super Bowl. We won a division title or a few, and this is and, and made the playoffs. And this is the tr- and this is and this is my payback. This was my payback, which has not gotten talked uh, talked about enough heading into this game. It's been Stafford, 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 Stafford. Stafford has no malice and no ill will with the Detroit Lions organization. He was there for, what, a dozen years? Tried to win him a Super Bowl? Tried to help get him to win a division? Make the playoffs the, the, the two times, the two, I think he made it, 2011 and 2016, I think were the only two times, if I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head. Made the playoffs the times that he made it. Wanted to win Detroit a Super Bowl in the worst way. It didn't pan out. There's no malice between Stafford and the Lions organization or Stafford and the Lions and the Lions fan. It was the Lions fan that that rooted for the Rams as their and because of Stafford to win that to win their quote unquote de facto Super Bowl for the city of Detroit. They were the ones that were rooting for him because we all know uh, that the Rams obviously have no fans. But but they were rooting for Stafford. So the saltiness and 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 the quote unquote tea as they call it is not with Stafford and Detroit. It's with Goff and the Rams, and Goff and Goff and McVeigh, in in particular. 
because McVay was the one that shipped off Jared Goff like he was a bag of peanuts. McVay was the one that thought that Jared Goff couldn't play anymore. And that he thought he was so incompetent and so bad at his job that he couldn't that he couldn't win a Super Bowl with him. Now, in fairness, I at that point in time I thought the same thing, but I, I I'm just a stooge with a microphone and an opinion. McVay was his coach and his and was his coach and and, and his uh, and his uh, work compadre, his boss. A little different, and he shipped them off. So I think that's going to fuel Jared Goff to show McVay, hey, look, yeah, you may have gotten your shiny new toy with Stafford and won your Super Bowl, but hey, you know, it's, it's, it's like that meme you say all the time. Hey, look at me. I'm the captain now. And I think Jared Goff's going to have his I'm the captain now moment on Sunday night against his old team. I really do. The thing is, though, with with the with the rant, with the Lions, would concern me is their defense, and their defense is, you know, to put it kindly, average at best. Excuse me, it's average at best. And one thing that that uh, Matthew Stafford is going to pick apart, especially, uh, is their is their secondary. With Nakua, who's had an all-world record-breaking season with uh, with Cooper Cup, and we all know the tremendous playoff performance that Cooper Cup showcased to the to the masses two years ago. The Ram, the Rams' most previous playoff run when they won, obviously the Super Bowl against Washington. But we all know how great Cooper Cup is and how marvelous of a postseason performer he has been, and 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 the sample size that he's shown that he's shown and showcased to us. So I'm very concerned for Detroit's defense and whether or not they'll be able to get to Matthew Stafford. And that's going to be also a bottom line is too. How the Detroit Lions pass rush will, if they will get to Matthew Stafford, how often will they get to Matthew Stafford? And will that change the Will that change, you know, the, uh, the, the, how, how that will have an effect on the game and on and on the Rams' offensive uh, game plan and its and and just their overall energy during the game because I think with the Rams' offensive line, which has not been all that great this season, all things being equal, I think the the Ram, the Lions' defensive pass rush and, and 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 in particular Aiden Hutchinson, I think the opportunity is there for him and the and his compadres along that along that front to have a big time day today. I really do. I think I think the opportunity is there for Aiden and and that uh, and specifically Aiden Hutchinson to have a big time day. I really do because you put Matthew Stafford on his ass, you give him the rush through his progressions. And the turnovers are going, uh, and the turnovers are going to start pouring out one after the other. If not strip sacks and fumbles on set, you know, and and dropped, you know, dropping the football, getting fumbling the football at at contact, you know, during while he's getting sacked, he's going to rush, bet, make bad throws. He made a ton of them in the giant game, which, which nearly caught, which nearly came back to bite him in the ass a few weeks ago. And this lion team. Better, more talented than the Giants, obviously, and you can get away with those mistakes and get away with those decisions. You know, in December in the regular season, January playoff time, different animal. So, 
And that's what I think has got to be a big-time key to victory for the Rams in this game is Matthew Stafford. It's A, the offensive line keeping Matthew Stafford upright, and Matthew Stafford either by hook or by crook, whether he's getting his face padded into the turf he once called home or he's got plenty of time to throw the football, he's got to be able to take care of the football, which is something that has and the offensive line play especially. They're not a great team, not a good team, not as good as the Super Bowl as the Super Bowl team. They have a lot of talent that can win them some playoff games, but they are a flawed football team. Offensive line's not great. They Stafford, you know, still is prone to turning over the football at times. And their defense with Raheem Mose with Raheem Morris, not a great unit. Gave up a crap ton of points and yardage to Baltimore. Gave up a crap ton of yardage to the Giants two weeks ago. Not and not a great defense. Or 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 have they have names? They have dudes, but as a unit, it's not, I don't look at them and see a championship caliber, uh, championship level type defense. I just don't. I don't. And in terms of the Eagles and the Bucks, I look at this and say this. Uh, this is a game that I, you know, this game and the last game on Sunday are two hard games to call and predict for different reasons. This one in terms of because of how competitive this game I think is going to be and how good both and talented these football teams are. And then on the flip side, it's with the Eagles and the Buccaneers game, it's going to be tough because of how bad both these football teams are are and how close they are in terms of in terms of them being on the same level with them being bad. You know, Tampa Bacon Mayfield, he's he's put together a bounce back season, all power to him. But again, and I made this point, I'll say it again, when you don't have expectations for Bacon Mayfield, he balls out and he shines. When you put expectations on Bacon Mayfield, that's when he crumbles and that's when and that's when you know you you look at him and you see why Cleveland chose to move on from him and decided to trade for and then sign Deshaun Watson long term then on the Philadelphia and then obviously they're coached by Todd Bowles who I mean is just an emotionless statue of a head coach to put, to put it kindly and then on the flip side you look at the Philadelphia Eagles who we've documented and given our commentary on throughout the last month and change, a self-destructing football team. Again, a team that's a collection of players that wear the same uniform, not a team, not T-E-A-M, not a team, but a collection of players that wear the same uniform, not a team. And and my words only get validated because I saw earlier, earlier today, A.J. Brown, he didn't practice today, which is problematic in and of itself. And then I see, you know, that he deleted his Twitter. And then, oh, by the way, he scrubbed his Instagram account of everything Philadelphia Eagles related. Which is just, which is the, if you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan, is the last thing you want you want to hear and the last thing you want to see. The last thing you want to see and hear. On top of Jalen Hurts having to deal with, having to deal with the middle finger issue, the middle finger uh, injury from uh, the middle finger injury from the giant game last week. So honestly, I, so uh, honestly, I just, 
I don't know who the hell's going to win this game, to be quite honest with you. My brain and my heart automatically says Philadelphia because they have the better roster and they are the defending Super Bowl, excuse me, the defending, uh, the defending NFC champions. But everything I've seen from this team, you know, from the, from, from the San Francisco game to the second Cowboy game to the, you know, to the Seahawk game, to the to the Cardinals game, the two giant game. There's there's nothing I've seen from this team for the last month that tells me that it'd be a wise decision to pick the Philadelphia Eagles to win this game. Nothing. The coach, the, no again, no sense. It, I'm sound like a broken record. No sense of direction. No sense of leadership. All the coaching staff collectively, the head coach, the assistants, Matt Patricia, the useless idiot. Completely lost, completely clueless, completely out the lunch. Hertz is injured. AJ Brown is injured. They don't run the football. They have no sense of identity. Hertz has regressed this season. I don't know. I, I honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna pick the game before the program is out, and I still don't know who the hell's gonna win this game. Shit, it'll be, it'll be thirty seconds to kickoff, and I'll have no definitive opinion or and or a clue who's gonna win that football game. I just don't. The the Buccaneers are not a good foot are not a good are, are not a playoff good football team and they don't have a good head coach. And then on the flip side with Philadelphia, they've just they've been in free fall since since the San Francisco game. Been in free fall. So who the hell knows? Um in terms of the caliber the quality the cal the calip the high quality caliber of games that we'll get I think you'll get a bad game Monday night a boring game Monday night I think the Packers Cowboys game can be will be great I think the Rams Lions game will be great and I think the Browns Texans game will be great I think Dolphins Chiefs Steelers Bills and a Monday night game will be substandard in terms of competitiveness and overall, you know, entertainment value. You know, a lot of scoring, offense, this, that, and the third. I, I don't think you'll get a lot of that. But with the Dolphins and the Chiefs, the first Sunday game and the Monday night game. I think Browns, Texans, Browns, Texans, Rams, Lions, I'm willing to take to the bank. The one I'll take a flyer on will be Packers and Cowboys. But I got a weird suspicion that that game could be better than a lot of people anticipate. On top of the fact that historically, albeit no Aaron Rodgers, even you want to go back to the 60s with the Ice Bowl, and then before that, the 66 NFL Championship game, it seems like every single time the Cowboys and the and the and the, and the Cowboys and the Packers get together come playoff time, it's it, it, it results in it results in a classic football game. So, should be fun, should be interesting. We indeed shall see. Well, I promised you guys that I was going to get to your voicemails, and I appreciate and I thank every last one of you that took the time out of your day to leave me one. We were going to play uh we were going to play a large chunk of them on Tuesday, couldn't for obvious reasons, but it all worked out in the end. We have an opportunity, I have an opportunity to listen to your thoughts on all things NFL uh, football, especially concerning Wild Card Weekend. As we uh, get inch closer and closer towards the two day, the two game days coming up 
this weekend. So without further ado, let's get right to the voicemails. Pull them up right quick here on my little inbox, if you will. God, let's see, let's see, let's see. Number one, number one, number one. Let's go to my buddy up in Buffalo, New York, the great member of the mafia that he is, Patrick in Buffalo on his bills. Jai, it's your boy in Buffalo, man. What I man? tell you, a couple weeks ago, I said the Bills are going to run. They're going to run the table. They're going to beat those frauds in Miami. They're going to be AFC East champions. Now we're the two seed. We should have, should have at least two playoff home games. Not to get ahead of myself, you need to look into Sunday, 1 p.m. You got to take care of business. You got to go in there, Bills. Bubble, you got to go, you got to go into, into lovely Highmark Stadium and you should beat the brakes off of Pittsburgh. I don't think Pittsburgh is that great of a team. The only thing that makes me nervous is it is Mike Tomlin and it's Mike Tomlin's team. And for some reason, he always comes prepared. The team comes ready to go, it seems. Not come play. And Rudolph, team. man, I don't know, but I, I think our defense should take care of him. And if Josh Allen comes to be the same old Josh Allen that we're used to, hopefully not the Jekyll and Hyde one, hopefully just, you know, Josh being Josh and doesn't, you know, throw three interceptions or lose the ball four times, fumbles and things like that. Bills should win this game handedly and have the second game at home. We'll see what happens, man. All I got for you today is what a game against those Miami Dolphins. I'll tell you what, man, I was a little bit nervous, especially at the ending there, but Tua's going to Tua, and he's going to turn over. And, man, yes. did our defense step up. We'll see Big what's time. to come. Four more, baby. Four more. Go Bills. I'll talk to you in a week, bud. Appreciate it, Pat. Excellent call as per usual. Listen, uh, you know the, I agree with every word you say. The only thing I'd have to uh, debate or – or uh, disagree with you with is that yeah Mike Tomlin's teams come Mike Tomlin's teams come prepared weeks one through seventeen weeks one through eighteen playoff time Mike Tomlin's teams you know and that's where and it's not and that's what you get in terms of how the NFL is this, these days and even with the with the expanded playoffs the thing that I can still appreciate about the NFL it's about it's the story between the halves and the have-nots. Even with the expanded field with the seventh seed that we don't need and that nobody asked for, it's you're either a good football team or you aren't. The seven, ever since the NFL introduced the seventh seed in 2020 at the turn of the new decade, they're winless. Wildcard weekend. Winless. Because the level of drop-off between the two seed and the seventh seed is so exponentially large that it's almost it's almost like a de facto 18th regular season game a lot of times the way how these games more often than not pan out. And then on top of the fact, Mike Tomlin has not won a playoff game. The Steelers have not won a playoff game since the 2016 divisional round against Kansas City. They have not won a playoff game since the divisional round of 2016 in Kansas City against the, against the Chiefs. They haven't won a playoff game since 2016. They haven't. So 2017 lost first round to Jacksonville. 
20, uh, 2020, they lost to 2020. They lost to they lost to Cleveland first round when Ben Roethlisberger was throwing interceptions left and right and Bacon Mayfield and the crew went crazy. 2021, they got the teeth kicked in by Kansas City on the road. So I would be nervous about, you know, the, the, whole, the whole Jekyll and Hyde thing with, uh, with Allen and McDermott. But in terms of Pittsburgh elevating their level of play up to Buffalo's level, I wouldn't worry about that in the slightest. The only way this game is a game is if Buffalo plays down to their competition. Because as history tells us, Mike Tomlin's teams, when they're fortunate enough to play in the playoffs, if, the, if their opponents don't self-destruct, they straight up just aren't competitive in these games. They just aren't. So I'd have no concern. Tomlin, he's able to work that black magic, but for whatever the reason, it taps out come playoff time. It works to get them in. It doesn't work to get them through. For whatever the reason, for whatever the reason, it's just how it is. But Pat, thanks for the call, man. You know, as a as someone that picked the Buffalo Bills to win the Super Bowl, my team's not in it, and I can't stand Pittsburgh. I'm be rooting like hell for your uh, rooting like hell for your uh, Buffalo Bills. Let's go to see if I can pull up another voicemail for you guys. Here, let me see, let me see, let me see. Let's go. Do we have? I'm trying to pull this thing up on the fly. I'll also don't forget. I will give you my uh, my picks against the spread for the six games on Wild Card Weekend. Um, give you my picks for the games on Wild Card Weekend, and I will give you my. Uh, my predictions on how I think the playoff field is going to pan out within within these next three weekends. Let's go to my man Mike in Orange County on his Rams. Hello, young Jai. This is Mike, hey, Mike. in Orange County. Jai, let me tell you something. This Rams team, this version, this mm-hmm. 2023 Rams team, I mean, what's not to yes, like? Man. Coming off an injury-riddled 5-12 and 12 year, everybody throwing Matthew Stafford to the scrap heap. Aaron Donald was injured. Cooper Cup was injured. We weren't sure if McVay was coming back. The defense, you know, losing guys left and right. But look what they did. Look what Lesney did, Jai. Drafting Kyron Williams. Drafting the unbelievable Puka Nakua, who's a rookie reception record and yards record. Kobe Turner. Young, all these guys. It's just absolutely yeah. amazing. This is Sean McVay's best job as a coach. He's a Hall of Famer. I mean, I'm sorry, Jai. He is going to be a Hall of Famer, this young man. Still the youngest coach in the league at 37. It's well, fantastic. This Rams Miller team is, remember, reminds me of those 70s Rams team, Jai. Just success sustained with Chuck Knox, Carol Rosenblum. Back in the day at the Coliseum when I was going to games with my dad. Oh, Jai, it's just fantastic being a Rams fan right now. And uh, hey, let's see what happens. We're going back, uh, going back to Detroit. It's not going to be easy. Matthew's coming in, Jared versus Sean, and and Matthew going in there. It's going to be emotional. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. Well, fun for me. I'm not sure about you because uh, I know you're not exactly a great Rams fan. I know the Why Bengals. Why would I was be, a rough Mike? Year. But hey, let's you're get them right. Rams horns up yeah, as they say, ram it as they say. Let's move on and let's see where it goes and let's win this first one and we'll see. Over and out, my friend. I love Mike. He is he, Mike is something else. Why? Why not exactly the Mike? Why would I be a Rams fan? What I'm a Bengals fan for one, so why would I 
even want to think about rooting for the Rams? And B, why in the world would I want to? Would you want to? Would did you want to root for the Boston Celtics, Mike? You want root? You want root for the Celtics? You when when the Giants make the playoffs and the and the Angels don't? Do you root for the Giants? I understand beating the Giants, different story. But still, do you root for the Red Sox who beat you in the '86 ALCS? Do you root for them? Do do you root? For, do you root for the Celtics? When your Lakers flame out, why would I be a Rams fan? They beat my team to win a Super Bowl. Oh my God! Leave it to Mike. Leave, leave it to Mike. He he know he knows how to get under my skin with the Rams and the and the Bengals. It was a disappointing season. Why? How many times y'all gonna have to remind me? I it's, it's disgusting. We'll stay in California. Chad in California with his thoughts on Wild Card Weekend and the recent head coaching carousel, not just at the NFL, but also in Nick Saban retiring. Chadwick, the floor is yours. John, my guy, what's going on? It Yo. is your boy, Chad in California. And I'm going to tell it like it is. <laughs> Look, bro, I mean, we are hours away from wild card weekend we've been waiting all season for this and we talk about coaches mm-hmm. man we talk about coaches Crazy. not a game not the games that we love aikman and romo and buck and, and eagle and and the rest of the guys wild card weekend with the weather Mahomes, allen nah we talking about coaches i mean you gotta love sports man you really do so let's start there man let's start with coaches i mean have we and you a young bull, bro? I mean, I ain't, you know I'm only 35. I ain't exactly you know an old man, but we ain't never seen nothing like this. I mean, we talking about Saban and Belichick back to back, like that'd be like Wayne and Drake just decide to retire tomorrow, or you know what I mean, like Biggie and Pac both passing away. Like it's crazy, bro. And Very. obviously Saban's done. Well, I think he's done. So he's done. He's Bama done. has to find their replacement there. Which they I did. think they should go. I think they should go Lane Kiffin. I mean, they know Lane Kiffin. They know exactly what he is. He's in their conference. He's dominating their conference. There's only two teams better than Lane in their own conference. And it was Saban and Bama and Kirby Smart in Georgia. So why not pivot, get Lane Kiffin, and just hit the ground running? He's a wild card, man. He's going to cause some problems. That might not be the Bama way, but... All good things must come to an end. And sometimes you go to adapt or you're going to get left in the dust, man. So if it ain't him, I like the, the guy out of Washington. I mean, if you're coaching the Washington Huskies that's and you get they to the win. national title game, that's the tip of the iceberg. Are you really going to get back? Are we going to see Washington back anytime soon? You got Oregon. You got USC. You got primetime in Colorado. You got all these teams over on the west side. Is Washington really going to be back? Or do you take that Bama job and get paid, man? And even if you fail, you eating for the rest of your life. That's Jimbo. How a and man. <laughs> as long as it ain't my guy Norvell of Florida State, which it was, I'm good with that. Got a so contract we got saving out of the way, man. Hire Lane Kiffin, keep it moving. How you doing? Keep it moving. Yeah, how you doing? The man? NFL coaching search. What are we doing here? I mean, you're a Bengals fan, and I like Zach Taylor. He, he's solid. Yeah. But yeah, he's okay. If you're a Jets fan or a Bears fan, or a Saints fan, or a Buccaneers fan, or 
the list goes on and on and on. I mean, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Get my man Belichick in there ASAP. If I'm the Buffalo Bills, I don't give a damn if we go to the Super Bowl and we lose by a field goal at the last second. We were so close. I'm firing McDermott. He's out of here. Bring in Bill Belichick, and I guarantee we win the bowl. Not one, but two, maybe even three. You got Josh Allen and Kincaid. That's Brady and Gronk right there. You got Diggs. Oh, there's your Randy Moss. Come on, man. It ain't that hard, bro. Keep it simple, stupid. That's the saying, right? Keep it simple, man. Yes, it is. Look, John, you a young man. You single right now, bro. I'm going to tell you like this, bro. And I don't encourage you. I'm happily married. My wife is beautiful. But a Mama June or Lizzo or some other big old my 500-pound life come in my DMs talking about, I want you, baby. (laughs) Sorry. But a Margot Robbie slide up and say, man, Chad, I've been looking at your page, and I think we'd be – you know, now let's get married. Man, do I got to go look in that mirror and make a decision? Boy, I'll tell you what. You're in business. Man, I'm going to make a decision. I'm telling you that to tell you this. You don't fire Sean McDermott for Vance Joseph. You don't fire yep. Sean McDermott for, for Raheem Morris. But I'm firing his ass for Bill Belichick, baby. Look, real quick on the wild card games, man. I think Stafford's yes. going to go in and ball out. McVay knows everything about golf. It is what it is. He knows his strengths, his weaknesses. He's going to run that. Koopa. I mean, Koopa. What am I talking about? This ain't Mario, bro. Nakua, Cooper Cup. They're going to eat, bro. It's time to eat. I think they're going to be eating kneecaps and touchdowns. Give me the Rams. The Eagles better watch out. I think the Cowboys going to demolish the Packers. Jordan Love ain't ready for prime time. Who else we got out there, man? I know I'm missing a couple games. Let me just tell you about the Dolphins and Chiefs, and I'll let you go. I don't think the weather is that much of a favor for Kansas City, man. You know how hard it is to catch a football for those receivers when it's sunny? That ball going to be cold as hell. Yes. It's going to be like catching a brick. And you know mm-hmm. the receivers got brick hands. I'll tell you what, you try to tackle Tyreek Hill on good grass? Woo! Try to tackle Tyreek Hill on ice, baby. You're going to be looking like uh, Will Ferrell in Blades of Glory. You're going to be slipping and sliding like you're on a bobsled team, fam. Listen to me right now. You give Tyreek Hill and Mozart and Waddle space with ice on the ground, with snow on the ground, and they're going to be zigzagging through that Chiefs defense. Don't be surprised if the Dolphins pull it off. I got the Texans. I'd be shocked. Flacco's done, man. I think it's a new sheriff in town. C.J. Stroud is that dude. I've been called that one. And Josh Allen and them boys going to roll up on them Steelers, bro. They're going to knock Mike Tomlin ass out. All love, I hope bro. So. Appreciate it, Chad. Oh, and Chad, because you brought up the whole Lizzo thing, this one's for you. I got beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, lamb, rams, hogs, dogs, chicken, turkeys, rabbits, you name it! <laughs> the the Margot Robbie uh, analogy was funny. I give it to you. Well, yeah, I mean, that's been my theme, you know, throughout the last, what, really three shows, is that Bill Belichick is still, you give him a roster that's ready to compete and and, and championship ready, quote-unquote, especially that has a quarterback on it, i.e. the first ones that come to mind, the Chargers and the Philadelphia Eagles. You give him any of those two rosters. Hell, even the Buffalo Bills, like you, like you mentioned, 
You give Belichick any of those two rosters, man, and he's going to find a way to get those squads to a Super Bowl and win one, and if things may break right, maybe possibly win a second one. So, yeah, you don't, like you said, you don't fire Sean McDermott for Vance Joseph, but you fire Sean McDermott for Bill Belichick. And that even applies with my team. You guys say, oh, I'm I'm nuts. Stop. You know, your your Zach Taylor hate, your Zach Taylor criticism is, uh, you know, is overboard to stand third. Bottom line is, how many rings does Zach Taylor have? Zero. How many does Bill Belichick have? Six. I rest my case. You you don't fire, uh, you know, do you fire Zach Taylor for Mike Vrabel? Probably not. But do you fire Zach Taylor for Bill Belichick? It would owe, the Bengals would owe it to themselves along with any other football team that's really, in all honesty, not coached by either Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan and Harbaugh. They owe it to themselves to at least pick up the phone and to at least see if Belichick would be interested. The Bills, unless they hoist the Lombardi, have to. The Bengals obviously have to. The I mean, and outside of also, you know, the that just got there, Dan Campbell, obviously, D'Amico, run outside of like the obvious ones. But the Cowboys, but the, I tell you something right now: the Cowboys, the Bengals, Buffalo. If they don't win a Super Bowl, get Cowboys more especially. But the Bengals would at least owe it to themselves. And I'm not using them because they're my team using them as an example. Would owe it to themselves. Hey, Bill, just for, you know, off the record for shits and giggles, would you be interested in coaching the Cincinnati Bengals if hypothetically we gave you an opportunity here? If he says no, the meeting never happened. How you doing? Keep it moving. If he says yes, work out the details and then, you know, see where the ball rolls from there. But I agree with you, Chad, absolutely. I mean, the Bill Belichick being available to coach, you know, your football team does not come does not come along, you know, it does not come around often. And football teams that are wise enough that are paying attention with all to themselves to give Bill Belichick, you know, to at least give him an opportunity for him to give them an opportunity to see if he want to see if he wants to be that next head football coach for whatever football team you know that that's in need of one, but that, uh, but a good good phone call, absolutely. Um, you're the only guy, by the way, that thinks that the that the Dolphins have a prayer in uh, in my in uh, Kansas City tomorrow night. Yes, the receivers for Kansas City can't catch, but they got a better defense than the Dolphins do. Their quarterback is Patrick Mahomes. The Dolphins' quarterback is Tua Tagovailoa, and Isaiah Pacheco has just been playing on another level for the you know for the last handful of time. So, but you're the only guy that that that's uh, high on the Dolphins heading into this Sunday, which is which is a surprise. Um, and I think Buffalo will steamroll the Steelers. And you know I could see Dallas blowing out Green Bay, but history tells us even if they win, that probably won't won't be the case. Uh, but thanks for the phone call, Chad. Nevertheless, don't be a stranger. Let's see. Let's go to let's go back to Sal in New Jersey. Packer fan. Speaking of the Packers and Cowboys, Packer fan wanted to sound off on his Green Bay Packers with their Dayton Dallas coming up on Sunday afternoon. Sal in New Jersey talking about the Packers again. The Packers just got one of their best quarterback performances in a must-win game that they've had in a long time. It's been a while since the Packers won a game that they absolutely needed to. The score was a lot closer than what the game was. There was the threat of 
the Packers shooting themselves in the foot to lose the game like they have been in these LaFleur big games. And believe me, they tried to lose almost. But what they got from Jordan Love was amazing. It looked like MVP Rodgers, not last year Rodgers. And Packers are going to the playoffs, and they're going to go to Dallas. And I don't think Dallas is unbeatable. I think that the Packers have a decent matchup against Dallas. I think that if they can contain Dak a little bit, they could score with them. The big thing that I was looking for in a Packers playoff opponent was going to be how good the run game is. And Dallas's run game doesn't scare me too much. Nor I think it. that it's going to be a shootout. And I believe so, too. I think that the Packers could win a game in Dallas. I don't fully expect it. But the fact that the Packers got to the playoffs in Love's first year as a starter is huge. Even if they get run out of the building, it's a big thing because the Packers are getting this playoff experience and and big game experience for a quarterback that definitely just proved a whole lot of people wrong. I think that the Jordan Love can't play football. Yes. That whole commentary was idiotic to begin with, and now it really shows (laughs) that it was was idiotic. I think that we're not talking about if Jordan Love can play football. I think we're talking about can Jordan Love win a Super Bowl. And not saying that it's coming anytime soon, but I don't think that you can look at this guy anymore and say he's not the guy. He's QB1, fully entrenched, and the minute that extension window opens up, again, he's going to get paid by the Packers, and he's your next Packer quarterback for 10-plus years. Thanks for the phone call, Sal. Um it certainly looks like he is their QB of the future and could be their next franchise quarterback for the next uh, decade plus. Winning a Super Bowl, I don't think we can go from Ken Jordan, Jordan Love can't play football to Super Bowl. I'd eh, a little bit too soon to have that conversation. You know, they make the playoffs in seventh seed, and all of a sudden we're putting Super Bowl and Jordan Love in the same sentence. But if he matures and his play grows and progresses and improves as the years and the seasons go by, would it shock me that Green Bay finds a way to get back to the Super Bowl under his watch? No, it would not. I don't think it's happening this season. I don't think it's happening next season. But come the 2025, maybe 2026 at the earliest, I would say, you know, and he, you know, goes on to this trajectory where he's in a conversation as a top five, top 10 best quarterback in the sport. It absolutely could happen. Um, I agree with a lot of what you said. You know, they're playing with house money. Uh, the fact that this team, youngest roster in the sport, made the playoffs is an accomplishment in and of itself. With a first, with Jordan Love making his first, uh, you know, his first starting season, you know, uh, Sands Aaron Rodgers, and the fact that they're in the playoffs, I mean, tremendous, tremendous accomplishment on their part. 
uh, and tremendous job by uh, Love and LaFleur and all the coaches and the players involved. And I absolutely can't see this game being a, being a shootout. Absolutely. Dallas's defense, like we've discussed, is not clutch. They can't stop the run. And they can't run the football, which is also problematic. And, you know, playoff Dak means, you know, some turnovers for your defense. So even though Dak has played well and has had a damn good regular season, weeks 1 through 18. But um, girth every word. And I'll be rooting like hell, Sal, for your uh, Packers, who are seven-point underdogs, will to pull off the upset. And uh, have you Cowboy fans out there crying, moaning, and groaning. And hopefully Mike McCarthy will be thrown out on his ass because he's the incompetent hack that he is. But uh, time will tell and we shall see come Sunday afternoon within a few days' time. Speaking of Cowboy fans, we got two voicemails yet to hear from uh, in terms of... No, we got two voicemails on the docket to hear from from Cowboy fans. Let's reword that a little bit better. Uh, The first one... Uh, JP, talking about his Cowboys. JP, take off. Hey, Jai. This is John Paul. I've got a question about the Dallas Cowboys, since you don't seem to get enough of those. Between (laughs) Mike McCarthy, Dak Prescott, and just the Niners being a much better team, who do you feel is most responsible for the Cowboys to not reach the Super Bowl this year? Thanks, I'll take your answer off the air. Thanks for the question, JP. Um... To not make the Super Bowl deck or deck. I say Mike McCarthy. I don't trust him as far as I can throw him. Because in an event, I can see the Cowboys winning a game. And I can't see the Cowboys winning a lot of playoff games in spite of Mike McCarthy. I, I just, they won they won a game against the Lions in spite of him. They won a game against the Seahawks in spite of him. I can't see the Cowboys getting away with that again. You know, if it wasn't for Mike if it wasn't for Asinine play call on fourth down in the Seahawks game and, you know, the illegal touching penalty in the Lion game, the Cowboys would have lost both of those games. And I think that would also concern me and would worry the piss out of me if I was a Cowboy fan. The Cowboys have gotten four, have gotten lucky a, a, a decent amount of times within the last two months of the regular season at home, which at least if I was a Cowboy fan, my thought process would be, oh, hell, it's only a matter of time till we, till we, you know, we've gone two full regular seasons. We've gone essentially a regular season and seven or eight games since our last, uh, since our last home loss. It's only a matter of time till you know till we go to the well and there's no water down there at the at the bottom of the barrel, you know, trying to edge out another uh, heart palpitating uh, victory in the confines of Jerry World. So I'd be nervous about that. But the guy that I think stands in the Cowboys' way, I think it's Mike McCarthy one, Dak Prescott two, the defense three in that order. Mike McCarthy one. The the play calling with the with a lead, 
you know, nursing a one-possession lead in the fourth quarter. It's play calling. I don't trust him as far as I can throw him. And the clock management, I don't trust as far as I can throw him with McCarthy either. McCarthy won. Dak, too, because history tells us he falls off in the, in the, reg, in the playoffs compared to the regular season. And part of me believes, why would I expect or think anything different, especially when he has when this team has to go on the road and has to, you know, and when they go on the road and or when they play on grass, not, Dak Prescott's nearly not as, as good as a quarterback, and the offense is not nearly as good for Dallas. So, uh, so and then the defense third, um, which could sometime, you know, if Dallas makes it to an NFC Championship game, could end up being their saving grace if Dak Prescott's up to his old tricks and Mike McCarthy, you know, can't manage a can't manage a game clock, let alone, uh, you know, let alone uh, call the appropriate play on a third on third and six, nursing a five point lead with a minute forty to go in the fourth quarter. Uh, but, yeah, that's the order I would do. McCarthy, Dak, and then the defense. And there's pressure on both of them heading into the postseason, too. Dak, because you hear all the talk and you hear the MVP talk until he spit the bit in the uh, in the Bills game. The MVP talk with Dak, he's disrespected. You know, how dare Cam Newton call him a system quarterback, this, that, and the third. Well, it's time for where the rubber meets the road and to prove Cam Newton and us uh, quote-unquote Dallas, Dallas, not necessarily Dallas Cowboy, but Dak Prescott, quote-unquote haters and naysayers and doubters wrong. The time is now. It's playoff time. You, you, you get one of your division, two seed, you advance, you win Sunday, get a second playoff uh, game in your building, and barring an upset uh, of of epic proportion in Santa Clara next weekend, you'll have the, you'll have the NFC Championship game in your building as well. No more excuses. If not, same thing that applies with Josh Allen and Lamar. It applies with Dak Prescott. If not now, when are you going to get your team to the Super Bowl? So all the pressure is on him, and all the pressure is on Mike McCarthy, the head coach, especially him. Dak as well because he's also due for for a new contract shortly coming up soon but it's you get we all know it's harder to move a to move a player than it is moving a coach and when Bill Belichick is available waiting in the wings and and Vrabel and Pete Carroll are available alongside him Mike McCarthy better deliver better better deliver Dallas to championship Sunday or be or he better be best prepared to pack his shit and make and make sure that his office is nice and homey for Bill Belichick at least if Jerry Jones had any sense, that's who he should hire. But thanks for the call, JP. Appreciate it. Uh, let's go to the final call we got. And that is my buddy JB on his Cowboys. Oh, Lord. Here we go. I'm going to keep it short. I'm going to keep it sweet. All I'm saying is that the last couple of weeks, the universe has just lined things up perfectly for Dallas. What? So I have no inkling to believe that all of a sudden we're going to get hold by the universe. And that's, that's oh what I haven't thought. This is I've never experienced this late in the season where all the signs, ex- external, even the way how we got this two seeds, one of the visions somehow, like, it, we're, we're in, it's, it's God's plan for us to do great things this postseason, bro. It really is, and you you can't what even lie, you, so, yeah. you can't even lie. Well, what you makes have you to so acknowledge sure? that there are some supernatural things going on right now? So I have I have no even though it's the Packers, I'm not scared of the Green Bay. Only man I'm scared of is Aaron Rodgers. 
that's gonna be a wash. Then we probably see who the Lions again, maybe second round. That's a wash. And I'm not saying we're gonna beat the Niners, but I, like I said, it's a supernatural season. So anything is possible after that. I mean, I'm gonna take it up. We got a time. I might even watch a game this weekend for real because I'm confident. That's how I know we're gonna win, bro. You guys see the 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 moronic uh, crazy train. I, I, I ought to play that song before before he calls in every single time. The moronic crazy train I'm on every single time this Negro leaves a voicemail for me to play on my on my digital airwaves. You're not gonna watch the game. It's the playoffs. You're a fan of a team that lit that plays out of market as it is. It's the playoffs. It's Dallas and Green Bay. One of the most historic and famous rivalries in all of the National Football League that helped put the NFL on the map in the 1960s. And you're not going to watch because you're so arrogant and you're so cocky that you think the Cowboys are going to steamroll over Green Bay. Really? JB, you're better than that. You're better than that. You're not going to watch the game because you're, because you're that confident. Come on, man. You, you you know better. You know better. You know better. You do better. You're not going to watch out of arrogance. Seriously, you when you're a fan, you're a fan. I don't care if they're pl- I don't care if they're playing a XFL team. Your team is playing, especially in the playoffs. You sit down and you watch. The universe is giving me signs. What are you? What are you now? A fortune teller all of a sudden? I didn't watch the Washington games. I knew that was a watch, bro. I know the the Packers are gonna be wild. So. Washington game meant nothing. Washington Titanic run, they stink. I just can't say the same about you know being a, a Bengals fan or an Eagles fan at the moment. Don't get but funny. Don't get I funny. Good. I'm telling you, I am gonna root so hard for the Dallas Cowboys to go up in flames. I hope Jordan Love throws for 400 yards and five touchdown passes on y'all asses. I you got a lot of nerve. Gonna bring up my Bengals. Leave the Bengals alone. They're out of it. Let them rest. And we'll see them in we'll see them in August in the summertime. Nobody cares about the Bengals right now. And nobody cares about Philly. Philly's downfall does not equal Dallas's success. Because if you guys get bounced either this weekend or the next, Philly's collapse means nothing. In relation, in relationship to y'all and y'all season, oh, we won the NFC East, big whoop. The two teams you just named have played in Super Bowls more recently than, than your sorry ass football team is. Jacob's hot stuff. I love him, but God is he hot stuff sometimes. Oh my God, is he hot stuff? The universe is giving me signs. Give me a break. Stop it, please. My God, you guys were very fortunate to beat Detroit. So if you play Detroit in the next round, there's no guarantee that you guys would win either, especially because they're going to be chomping at the bit to get back at y'all, considering that they had the two seed in the hands until the illegal touching penalty. My goodness gracious. By the way, um, was I going to bring up anything else? No, that's all the callers. I was going to bring up something. Um. Oh, how I think the playoffs gonna how the playoffs are gonna end up. 
My predictions for the postseason, uh, for the playoffs heading into the season, when the season began in early September, I said we were going to get a Lions-Eagles and a Chiefs-Bills AFC championship game. Well, because of the way that the that the seeding works out, the Chiefs and the Bills won't play in the AFC championship game. They'll most likely play in the divisional round next week. So... I will go with because of the fact that that they you know that the seating it won't work out. I'll go Bills Ravens AFC Championship game, and I'll stick. I don't the chance of it happening. I I don't like it, but I will roll with my preseason. I will roll with my preseason NFC Championship game prediction and stick with Lions and Eagles, stick with my Super Bowl prediction, Eagles and Bills, and stick with my Super Bowl champion, Buffalo Bills. I will stick with that, knowing good and full well, and most likely will probably be uh, uh, the 49ers and the Ravens or the uh, Cowboys and the Ravens or the Cowboys and the Chiefs to make me want to gouge my eyes out. But my prediction is still alive, as crazy as that is to believe. So I will root for my prediction throughout the 2023 NFL playoffs. Now, we got six games on the docket. Six games, the first of three weeks, technically four if you want to count the Super Bowl, of 2023 NFL playoff action. The picks, they're not, they've never left. They are back for playoff time, though. Wildcard weekend. In the league where they play. For pay. Game number one, Saturday afternoon, the 11-6 Cleveland Browns taking on the 10-7 Houston Texans. The Browns are two-point favorites over the Houston Texans. Cleveland also, if you remember, on Christmas Eve a few weeks ago, got the job done in uh, Houston, Texas, down at NRG Stadium, taking care of business with Amari Cooper and uh, Joe Flacco's big afternoon uh, down there in the Lone Star State. Cleveland, two-point fate, one-and-a-half, two-point favorites, depending on where you bet with. Uh, take a look at the injury report right quick. Uh, you have uh, Mike Ford, Denzel Ward, Juan Thornhill, and Pierre Strong Jr. listed as questionable for Cleveland. In terms of Houston, Sheldon Rankins, Malik Collins, Jonathan Greenyard, and Andrew Beck are listed as questionable for the Houston Texans. Joe Flacco, like I previously stated earlier in the show, he's never lost a wild, he's never lost a playoff game on Wild Card Weekend, and I think that streak will continue. Give me the Cleveland Browns to win this game by the final score of 23-20. Game number two, the Peacock Bowl, the Tyreek Hill Revenge Bowl between the Miami Dolphins and the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs obviously uh, getting the job done as NFC West, or excuse me, AFC West Division champions. Able to get that meaningless victory over the Chargers last week as they look to uh, defend their title as defending Super Bowl champions trying to become a dynasty and win their three their third championship in the last uh, five seasons. Meanwhile, the Miami Dolphins are licking their wounds coming off of their inexcusable loss last week against the Buffalo Bills on Sunday Night Football in a game that uh, provided the, uh, that was the coup de grace 
to Miami, choking away their division lead over the then 6-6 six six Buffalo Bills atop the AFC East. They uh, took the L last uh, Sunday night, and they are four-and-a-half-point underdogs against the Kansas City Chiefs, who are heading into this game with an 11-6, finished regular season with an 11-6 record. Um, we mentioned and we discussed the frigid temperatures, wind chill around minus 25, minus 30 with, uh, with the game time, uh, temperature wind chill outside of the picture at a negative three, uh, with, uh, no weather. It looks like in the forecast in terms of snow or rain, anything or sleet or anything else like that. In terms of the injury report, it is as follows. The Chiefs, Kadarius, Tony, Justin, Ross, listed as questionable. Wanya Morris, their offensive tackle listed as out. Meanwhile, for Miami, they have Raheem Mozart, uh, Jalen Wild look like they're going to play, with Jadavion Holland and Deshaun Elliott, their safeties, listed as questionable thus far. Miami Dolphins were 11-6 in regular season. Only There were 500 teams, 4-4, four four from the confines of Miami. We discussed, and it's been a thing of how two has been a substandard quarterback and has yet to win a game in the National Football League, playing in a game in which the temperatures, game time, and throughout the sequence of the football game are below 45 degrees. Why do I think anything's any different? Again, I would be absolutely flabbergasted if the Miami Dolphins scored two touchdowns in this game. Chiefs will win this game. Final score, it's Kansas City 20, the Dolphins 0. Game number three, we move over to Sunday. The Pittsburgh Steelers, somehow, someway, are the parts are the recipients of the seventh seed that should not exist uh, as they get, were able to get the job done in large part thanks to uh, some results in Week 18 last week that went the way, plus winning their their uh, well for the Ravens meaningless game uh, against the Baltimore Ravens in wet, cold, disgusting Baltimore last Saturday afternoon. They are the seventh seed, albeit, and they get the number two seed Buffalo Bills. Uh, winners of the AFC uh, East for the fourth consecutive season in a row with two home games at bare minimum. Granted, they make it through this weekend's festivities up at snowy and cold, blustery uh, Highmark Stadium at Orchard Park, New York. Obviously, no TJ Watt for this game. Had the MCL injury uh, in the uh, pits in the uh, game last week against the Baltimore Ravens. Gets to give you a stat with the Steelers and games without TJ Watt since 2000 and, since 2007. The Pittsburgh Steelers, their record is one in ten. On defense, they give up on average 26 points a game. They give up on average 381 points per game in games that T.J. Watt does not play and only nine total takeaways in games in which T.J. Watt does not play for his beloved Pittsburgh Steelers. So with the injured left knee, he's a no-go, obviously. Pittsburgh's 1-10. They have not won a playoff game, as we discussed during Pat's call. They have not won a playoff game since the divisional round against Kansas City. Uh, in the 2016 NFL playoffs, and why would I anticipate things being any different, especially with Mason Rudolph behind center for them. Meanwhile, for the Buffalo Bills, Gabe Davis ruled out with his PCL strain, sprain, excuse me, and Taylor Rapp, their safety, uh, who is also ruled out for Buffalo as well. And Rasul Douglas and Terrell Dodson are listed as questionable for the Buffalo Bills. Give me the Buffalo Bills to roll in a big way and win this football game by the final score of 35-10. Game number uh, three. 
one, two, no, game number four. I can't count. Game number four of Wild Card Weekend, the second game of the Sunday slate, the 9-8 and eight Green Bay Packers taking on the 12-5 and five Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys winners of the NFC East for the first time since the 2021 season, second, second NFC East division uh, crown in three seasons. Meanwhile, and they are the two seed with the second playoff game in their building if they're able to get through Green Bay this upcoming Sunday. Meanwhile, the Green Bay Packers, the winners of the seventh seed that shall not exist, uh, courtesy of the Seattle Seahawks uh, collapsing down the stretch along with the uh, Minnesota Vikings and the elite play of Jordan Love, giving them all the credit in the world for bouncing back, especially when Green Bay as a unit had those bad games, those back-to-back -back losses against the Giants and the Bucks back in the month of December. The Cowboys are seven-point favorites. This is a game, if there's ever such thing as a trap game in the playoffs, <laughs> this one would be it. Green Bay, obviously, their season's a rousing success. They have nothing to lose and everything to gain by just going out there playing carefree, dominant football, uh, and see if they can upset uh, the heavily favored Dallas Cowboys, who finished the regular season undefeated, a perfect 8-0 at home this year. Uh, so we'll see if the Green Bay Packers can finally give the Cowboys their first home loss since Brady's Bucks did back in week one of the 2022 season on Sunday Night Football. Uh, the injury report is clean for Dallas in terms of Green Bay. Jair Alexander and Christian Watson listed as questionable. A.J. Dillon on the injury report listed as doubtful for Green Bay. A potential trap game for Dallas, and I think it will be a trap game for him. I think Jordan Love and the Green Bay Pack, Jordan Love will have his uh, his coming out party to the American public. I think the Jordan Love that you saw against Detroit on Thanksgiving and against the uh, Kansas City Chiefs the Sunday night the week after, I think you'll have a, a very similar performance from those two games, and Jordan Love will have a big-time uh, performance in his first-ever playoff game with essentially nothing to lose. Give me the Green Bay Packers to win this game by the final score of 35-30. to 30. One over the Dallas Cowboys. The Sunday night game between the New the Detroit Lions. I don't know why I went into New Orleans Saints. I, I don't know where the hell my head is at. The LA Rams, winners of the sixth seed in the NFC playoffs, ten and seven season for them. Bounce back. They started out the season amongst the abyss. Give uh, Sean McVay a ton of credit which Mike alluded to during his call. Uh, he's not a Hall of Fame coach yet. He's on that trajectory. He's not there yet. We need one more ring to, to solidify his re his uh, legacy as a Hall of Fame head coach. But he takes on the Detroit Lions, a team that he shipped his old former quarterback, Jared Goff, to for essentially, for Matthew Stafford and then, you know, a bunch of uh, table scraps as it is the Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff reunion bowl with their former teams. Matthew Stafford making his return to Detroit for the first time since that trade during the winter of 2021. The Lions are 12-5, the three seed and the winners of the NFC North for the first time in the history of the division and the Lions winning their first division title for the first time in over 30 years. Looking to also snap, snap, that um, 
that long uh, playoff uh, win drought. It's been a long time uh, since George H.W. was president since the Detroit Lions last won a playoff game. The Michigan Wolverines won a national championship earlier this week. Maybe it's the uh, maybe this is the season for for uh, the state of Michigan's football teams. You just never know. Detroit's favored by a field goal in what should be the best game of Wild Card Weekend coming up on Sunday Night Football. Uh, John Kaminsky and Sam Laporta are listed as questionable for Detroit. Meanwhile, for the Rams, Troy Reader, Bobby Brown III, Jordan Fuller, Tyler Higby, Kevin Dotson listed as questionable for the LA Rams. Tough game to call, but give me the Detroit Lions to win this game by the final score of 27-24. And the Philadelphia Eagles are 11-6, taking on the 9-8 NFC South champions for the third season in a row, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're... We call what? We call what balance I don't know. Stable. <laughs> my brother interrupting me during my pick segment. He knows better than that. Uh, meanwhile, Sorry, uh, with that stupid, stupid joke. It's just awful. It's just awful. It was a terror. It was a terrible joke when he told it. It's a terrible joke when you told it. Can I get back to my program? Thank you. Philadelphia Eagles are 11-6 after they choked away the one seed and choked away the NFC East Division crown. They are the sixth seed. Take, no, they're the five seed, I apologize, taking on the number four seeded and NFC South Division champions for the third consecutive season, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, with Baker Mayfield at the helm being the successor to Tom Brady. A 9-8 record for them. Tampa Bay uh, coming into this game, uh, you know, did not look very promising against the against the Carolina Panthers in their season finale to clinch the division, which makes this game all the more difficult to uh, all the more difficult to uh, predict. They have KJ Britt, Tristan Wirfsis as questionable, AJ Brown, who did not practice on Friday and has the whole snafu with scrubbing the social media. He's listed as questionable. Reed Blankenship's listed as questionable. Britton Covey, uh, the wide receiver, lower on depth charts, listed as questionable. So they got two wide receivers that are dealing with injuries, which is problematic. Um, and then they also have Sidney Brown listed as out as well. Of course, he, he suffered a season-ending injury uh, about a game or so ago. Now, the Philadelphia Eagles, with, also with Jalen Hurts, also with the uh, middle finger injury to keep an eye out for as well. This is a tough game to call, not necessarily because of how great this game's going to be, but because of how much of it's just a downright dumpster fire and chaos festival football game is going to be. And it's rare that you say it about a playoff game, but yet here we are. I will hold my nose and pick the Eagles to find a way to win this game. Final score, 22-7. And that is their wild card weekend picks. Another episode of the Yamatella Cotillier's podcast in the books. If you like what you heard and are new to the program, thank you for listening. Please don't hesitate to subscribe on your way out. Follow your boy on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Threads, The Works, MySpace, I don't know, at the J Shield. Enjoy wildcard weekend, everybody. Stay safe for those of you all that are going to be uh, battling the frigid temperatures across the country, the snow, the wind, the rain. Be safe, be well, enjoy the games. I will talk to you to recap it all on Tuesday. Oh, oh, oh.